Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 146 and a hearty happy Halloween to you. Matt and I have our, we're the pumpkin twins today for Halloween. I uh, hope you guys have had, I guess most people celebrate Halloween like this past weekend, right? Yeah, depends. It was when the parties were, I guess. Also, yeah. it's pretty much an American thing, I think. Yeah, so. yeah. It, it's sad that I've got to the point where like Halloween comes and goes, I don't really care anymore. Yeah, well. <laughs> I see photos of people in their costumes on Facebook. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I remember when I used to do that. I'm interested to see what the trick-or-treater situation is in the, in the new neighborhood. Oh, that's right. Are you armed? Are you ready to go? Uh, I have like a bowl of regular stuff, but I'm thinking about taking Pactor's advice and going to get the full-size bars nice. uh, tomorrow. So You know what will happen, though, if you do that? Nobody shows up. No, everyone will show up. Like, the word will <laughs> spread out on the street that this house has the full candy bars. The next thing you know, you're going to get the people who, like, uh, come up and get, a, get it with their mask. Mm-hmm. Then they'll take their mask off and smear their friends, like, paint on their face and come up and try to get another... At least that's what I used to do. When you'd find the one house that gave the full candy bars, you'd just make the cycle and like keep coming back. They know the candy bars are, like, 75 cents, right? They're I mean, actually more than that now. That was back when we were trick-or-treating. They were 75 cents. How much are they now? I don't, I don't, like, dollar, fifty dollar. You can get them at a store if you buy them on, for a deal for, like, a dollar a lot piece. of money for a Butterfinger. It absolutely is, but... Hope you guys, if you guys did go out this weekend, hope you had a fun and safe Halloween. If you're going out this next weekend, make sure you uh, take care and take precautions. Because Halloween tends to be the weekends where the crazies come out. Eh. Like not kids any, running not so much the anymore. Not anymore. Have you been out there? It's just ch- it's no. children with their hands held at four in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sun isn't even set yet. Trick or treating doesn't exist the way like. Oh you, really? Like if you, like if you have this image in your head of trick or treating being like in like you know the sh- TV shows or like in like et where it's just the whole the whole town all the kids yeah. are out just running around and the parents are off at parties and stuff. no now it's like 4 p.m the day before or like you don't like they hire lot, an armed guard a lot of my friends a lot of my friends with kids don't even do go around the neighborhood they just go to like a like a like a mall that does like a thing where you go to each store uh, and get to, like it's all like organized you know structured stuff now like there's no there's, there's no wild anything anymore. How are kids getting an egg a car or TP a tree? They don't know what they don't know what that is. <laughs> they don't know what that means. Oh, the best part about Halloween. So I mean, there are pe- I know people in their late twenties that I've sh- like watched movies about with stuff like that, or like like explorers, or like they think Stranger Things is like a a high fantasy show, not because there's monsters from another dimension, but because kids are riding their bikes around without their dark parents. without any supervision. <laughs> it's just like it's. it's it was a different time. That's, that's the escapism to them. <laughs> that's funny. They dream about being able to just ride their bikes yeah. after dark. It's pretty insane. So anyway, I hope you're having a great Halloween. Uh, most of the people are going to be watching the archive of this, which is actually going up on Halloween. It's actually Hallow's Eve right now. Or it's mm. Hallow's Eve no. Eve? Eve Eve, yes. <laughs> all Hallow's Eve is Halloween. It's Halloween, right, which is interesting. So uh, You have All Hallow's, and then you have All Souls. Yeah, right, right. Day of the Dead. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's a whole strip. It's a whole stretch of, of pagan stuff co-opted by, uh, by, by modern Christianity. It's, a, it's very impressive. At least we got one day. One of them. We're slowly, uh, we're slowly uh, exporting. I, I, I've heard that like, you know, like Australia a long time, like while just recently didn't even know, what the hell's Halloween? They don't have Halloween. And, but like candy is so easy to get people involved oh, in yeah. that like Halloween's <laughs> starting to spread. I can understand so. that. Uh, so anyway, I hope you guys had a great Halloween if you celebrated already. If not, I hope you have a great time. 
Uh, so a lot of you guys probably have kids that you're going to take out trick-or-treating maybe for the first time. So be yeah. safe. Have to a good time. Actually, today is uh, Devil's Night. What does that mean? That's the night before Halloween, uh, mostly in the Detroit area. Uh, if you ever watched, uh, <laughs> if you ever watched The Crow, why does that not surprise me? I have. If you ever watched Great. The Crow? That takes place the night before Halloween, Devil's Night, where they uh, light where they light fires all over the city and stuff like that. Interesting. Uh, let's see. So the Sifted T-shirt photo contest. We're probably going to launch that next week. Uh, although some of you guys have already started submitting photos for uh, for the contest. And probably what we're going to do, we're probably going to pick the winner around Thanksgiving. Probably whatever episode is Thanksgiving week. Uh, that way we can give you guys, give the winner something right on Thanksgiving. Uh, again, the winner's going to get a free game of their choice, whatever they want, whatever you're territory. Are not going anywhere for Thanksgiving? Uh, no, I never do. Yeah, me neither. My wife goes back to Pennsylvania mm. for Thanksgiving. I stay here because there are 8,000 games that need to be played and covered. Mm. So... I, I never stay here because it's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, Thanksgiving here is insane. Thanksgiving was never a thing in my family, really. And uh, when we moved down here, I think first year we both drove back up. Yeah. And that sucked. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, oh, the traffic is a nightmare. Getting back, I mean, we. I think we both came back the same day. It was like 12 hours. It yep. was like 8, 12 Which hours. Which should be a five-hour drive. should be a five-hour drive. But it was, yeah. I mean, it was just... You're going 20, Traffic here is 20 bad miles an hour always. for 300 miles. Like, yeah. just unbelievable. And then that's the second year here, I flew back, and it was worse. <laughs> it took longer to get all the delays and all oh, the crazy. Right. It was it was worse. So after that, I just said to my mom, like, I'm just gonna come home for Christmas from now on. And and I was, okay. I was like, yeah, everyone's fine. It's cool. <laughs> and also, yeah. it's great here on Thanksgiving because everyone leaves. It's and like you can the do best whatever you weekend yeah. in LA ever. You can actually yeah. drive someplace on the amount of time you should be able to drive there. Yep. But it's and, just uh, a three-day window, and then it's gone. Same with uh, came with Christmas. I was here for Christmas a couple of years ago because of my cat was being sick. Uh-huh. And driving around LA on Christmas Day I can't is imagine. amazing. I can't it's, imagine. It's, it's like it's like a zombie apocalypse has occurred. Like there's no yeah. one. There's no one on the road. Especially if you got to time it like around the ten, the nine to eleven a.m. when everybody's at church. Yeah. And like it's a ghost. You town. can you can just drive down Wilshire Boulevard and there's no one there. <laughs> like it's, it's like it's That's like crazy. the it's like the scene in Gremlins where everybody all the Gremlins go into the theater right, and everybody's right. gone. Like, it's just like it's it's great. Uh, so anyway, back to the t-shirt competition. I will be launching that next week officially. You guys have already started working on it, which I think is freaking awesome. Uh, we are very close to breaking even on the shirts. Uh, we're almost there. So if any of you guys have been waiting to get them, we'd really appreciate it if you could. Um, and then once we break even, we might actually make money on something for once, which would be nice. So uh, we'd, before we kick things off, one of, the, one of our sifters, one of your fellow sifters, uh, went on Twitter and tweeted a photo to me which is his entry in the uh, t-shirt photo contest. And I want to show this one because it is topical with what today is and tomorrow is. Uh, but two, I wanted to inspire you because this is kind of the stuff that we're looking for uh, for the t-shirt photo contest. So Sam, will you bring up the photo? <laughs> so Mike's Q, you guys are probably all familiar with. He's, he's had a lot of questions answered on Pactor Factor in the past, and he's active in the community. He carved a sifted pumpkin. Which, hey, we got we have a major contender here for uh, for the competition. Um, he also posted a photo with him holding the photo and holding a beer, I might add. Um, but we want to show this one obviously because it's Halloween. But this is this type of stuff we're looking for. We want people who go the extra mile, find a really cool place to take a photo, or a place where there's a ton of people where you could promote or rep sifted, or if you just want to be artistic and do something like what he did. Um, 
that works too. So aim high, folks. It's not going to be easy to win this. I th I, I'm pretty inspired by what people have been doing already. Another person took a picture in front of the PAX Australia sign. Uh, so people are getting creative. So when it launches next week, think you have a week to think about what you want to do with it. If you haven't bought a shirt yet, the one objective, obviously, is you have to own one of the shirts to uh, be a part of the competition. And like I said, that's a separate shirt, uh, picture of the pumpkin. He does have a picture of him with the shirt on, with a pumpkin in one hand and a beer in the other, which is a pretty great combination. So that's how it's going to go down. All the rules and everything will be in the post that goes up next week. Uh, but if you guys are waiting to be a part of it and you need to get a shirt, you should get a shirt soon. Uh, because in the U.S. it only takes like two days to get to you. But if you're in Europe or overseas, it usually takes like seven days or something like that. So with that, let's kick off the show. And we're going to kick off the show with a topic directly related to Halloween. And that is horror video games. So somebody asked Pac what his favorite scary game of all time was. And like his, his favorite game was Resident Evil 7. Hmm. Um, he, he did say he hates scary games. It's not a thing that he's into. So I could understand where just the last thing you played is probably the thing that, uh, stuck with you the most. We want, we don't want to be redundant with that topic here on Game Face. Instead of talking about what our favorite scary games are, although that may come up organically, we want to talk about the future of horror video games and where the horror genre is going in 2018. I think I would start things off by saying, I'm not so sure that the horror genre has changed all that much in the last, since 96 when Resident Evil first kind of came on the no, scene. I would say it has. Uh, kind of the walking simulator, like, horror thing. I think the, I think the indie, rise of indie stuff has changed how horror is presented in a lot of ways. Because um, to me, the two, the two main sort of, also, like, this is not like that. Like, I hate the old survival horror games. I think, I thought they were always... Clunky and annoying at best. Um, Silent Hill was probably the exception because the, the the tone and the and the atmosphere was so good. But like I you know I never understood why anybody thought Resident Evil was scary. Like jump scares. I guess, but even then, like the the um, I remember that when my my roommate bought a, he had a PlayStation and he got Resident Evil when it first came out, and we all like a bunch of us like the whole suite sat down to play it. Because um, everyone knew of it, but he was the only person we knew with a PlayStation. And the dog came through the window, and everyone in the room like freaked out. And I was like, "What? Really? Like, that didn't get... scare you? Jump that was so cheap." Oh, it's super cheap. But jump scares don't really do do much to me. Like unless unless I'm in like a theater and like they do like the Christopher Nolan like the bass shakes the room and right. like because anyone's gonna cut off get caught off guard for that. I think everyone. You're the only person I ever met that doesn't get caught by jump scares. I mean that's why they're called Not jump much. scares because so, you can't keep from reacting to them. To me, well, they're called jump scares because something jumps out at you and scares you. But like, it, I, I don't know. Like, I don't react to things like that in a movie or, or entertainment product. Because, like, if someone jumped around a corner at me, like, I'd probably re I'd react to that because there's somebody in front of me. But that's uh, the thing on the screen is that I actually identify with Pactor when he talks about in the video about how he liked Resident Evil Seven because when you're in VR, you can't look away from the screen. Right. You can't get away from it. It's sort of. And I think I think it, like as someone who isn't frightened by horror stuff and finds most of it stupid. Um, I thought the VR stuff, the VR horror stuff, is much more effective. To oh me. yeah, because you're in there. Um, yeah, it, it, it it's more all-encompassing and it's it's a little oppressive. And it, I mean, like, I even thought the Until Dawn, Rush of Blood, like the the, the light gun shooter yeah. thing, I thought that was very effective. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. But like, uh, like the actually one the, and on PlayStation One, I, there was uh, there. Two, three, three jump scares that ever got me, and one of them was two of them were Resident Evil Two, 
uh, when the tyrant tyrant comes two times the tyrant comes through the wall. Yeah, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't ready for when it comes through the wall in the briefing room, and one other one I remember. Two, there were two tyrant moments. I was like, whoa! I didn't I didn't think that was coming. The one the biggest jump scare that I ever got me in the history of video games is from Clock Tower on the PlayStation Underrated One. game. Yeah. We were playing it on um, in my friend's my friend's bedroom. It was like four or five of us. And he, we were playing it on his, in his room because he had the best sound system of anyone we knew. He had, it was like the, he was, he had a crazy surround. Like he actually had like a subwoofer, subwoofer, right? like the whole thing. And this was like, you know, it was like '97, right. so it was, yeah. it was unusual then. <laughs> and it was the same. If you go like one direction early on when you're being chased by Scissor Man, you you can run into a security guard, and then this girl, the girl you're playing as, goes like, like, oh, you have to help me, you have to help me. Like there's someone chasing me, and the security guard goes, there's someone chasing you. Who is it? Some kind of weirdo? And like before, you can even finish saying weirdo. Scissorman's like st- stabs him through the chest from like off camera, uh-huh. and there's this dumb. There's a thunk <laughs> sound effect for it, and it, the subwoofer he had, like the house shook. It was so turned up so, and everyone in the whole room, including me, was like ah, like like it just. That's that moment where it like it was right through your chest. You it jump was, up and try to scramble to turn down the subwoofer. Like it felt like a physical hit, yeah. and like everybody reacted. So that was the best jump scare in the history of video games to me. I uh, always but, get that was mainly because scares. of a sound system, but it was effective. You you yeah. look up, uh, I think if I looked it up recently, I think if you do a search on um, YouTube for like Clock Tower, or some kind of weirdo, you'll find that clip. Okay, and you can see it. It is very. It is, it, you can even on the like the YouTube through headphones, you can feel the. Thunk oh really? Sound like whoever put that thunk in the game <laughs> knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I get uh, jump scares get me every time. I don't feel good about it, and like the, uh, to me, there is a cheap device that is oh, yeah, used a, across horror media in general, not just games, but film and television as well. But I can't keep from getting <laughs> got by them. Mm-hmm. But the, every time it happens, I get more and more angry. Um, and I do feel like games tend to lean on that a lot. Yeah, well, it's an easy... I mean, like you said, it's cheap. It used to be called Cat Scares. Right. In the old yeah. days. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I feel like they've things have changed substantially, I think, from the old... I think the old survival horror paradigm is still a thing. I mean, certainly, like, Evil Within is still kind of working off that same thing. But I would say games like... Like Outlast and Soma and stuff like that are a different thing um, that I somewhat prefer. But in general, I still find horror games that I like to be pretty few and far between. Uh, I, I find atmosphere and tone and, and tension to be much more effective. And I can count the number of horror games that do that well on pretty much one hand. And like two of them are Silent Hill games. Oh, Outlast, which is what we're seeing right now, is, is great. To me, that is kind of the... The template for... Mm-hmm. I didn't like the first one. I thought the second one was better. Yeah, but you know what? Even the second one, after I played it for five or six hours, I got tired of it. Yeah, but it makes it better for... Like, my problem with also with the first one is I think the Asylum thing is a dumb setting. It's so overdone. Like, I don't, I don't... like every walking simulator now is in an, a haunted asylum or in a haunted hospital mm-hmm. or in a haunted mansion. It's like... When you curate on Sifted, you start to realize that it's that same theme that's repeated over and over. It feels like... Yeah, but that's horror. Yeah, I mean, it feels like even the indie developers have kind of gotten into a rut and have struggled to find sort of new angles on it. I'm wondering, though... Well, to be fair, so have movie studios for like That's exactly what I was going to say. But I do feel like horror film 
is starting to evolve a little bit. If you look at movies like Get Out, like that isn't really a traditional like slasher, hacker, mm -hmm. overly gory film. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier. It's all about like tension and being unnerving. And there's a little bit of gore in it, a little bit of supernatural mm -hmm. stuff in there. But ultimately, it's all about tension and just kind of putting you on the edge of your seat on pins and needles. Um, and then instead of using a jump scare as kind of that release, I like films and games that just keep slowly building that, like a grinder. Mm. Well, that's, uh, you know, as, 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 like Stephen King says, there's the difference between horror, there's, fright, there's fear or fright, being frightened, which is like the jump scare. Yeah. There's uh, horror, which is like revulsion, uh, the you know gore or like you know like blood everywhere. Somebody's guts are hanging out, like, you know like slasher movie kind yeah. of thing. And then there's terror, which is he describes it as um, you come home at night and you know that every single thing you own has been replaced by an exact duplicate. Yeah, like it's right. it's that like creepy that moment red. of realization. Yeah, and, yeah, and. Um, and like that is the most effective thing to me. And very few games manage to pull that off. I think Silent Hill Two does. If we if we were if we were to do the favorite horror game thing, that would probably be my pick. Um, it's one of my favorite uh, horror game stories. Was uh, our friends uh, Jason Chung and uh, Matt Korb, one of our editors from at uh, Tech TV and, and G4. Uh, they used to be roommates. And Jason would They're walk. big horror fans. Yeah, they love horror. horror. And like they would play, Jason would play video games. Corb wasn't a big gamer, but he, right. would, he would watch Jason play. Yeah. And normally Corb would sit there and like, you know, riff on it or make fun of it or like, you know, just do commentary. Right. And they're playing. He like was, the first Let's Play. Yeah. <laughs> he and, was the uh, first YouTuber. <laughs> Chung was playing. That's pretty much what they pitched when yeah. we were like developing X Play. Yeah, and, yeah. and they were told it would never work. Yep. Funny how that is. Mm. <laughs> Um, but they, uh, he, J Jason was playing, and uh, he was in the hospital, like the dark world of the hospital, like maybe two-thirds of the way through the game, and he was stuck. He couldn't figure out where to go. He's wandering through the basement halls and with the screaming and da 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 And finally, he goes, and like, Corb was uncharacteristically quiet through all of that, and finally... Because he's never quiet. And finally, yeah, and finally Jason's like, I don't know, I just don't know what it wants me to do, and, and Corb says, you need to get the fuck out of there is what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and was that the answer? <laughs> no, like, it, it, but Corb was like just couldn't take it anymore. Right, right. And uh, I was, that was way, a great, worn him down. Yeah, I thought it was a great story because it's like, man, if it can affect him, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that, that is an effective game. But do you see horror games kind of going in the direction of like a Get Out? Like, I haven't really seen kind of that transition. I thought I felt like um, well, the last Aliens game, Alien Isolation, mm -hmm. was kind of yeah, that a was, step in a new direction. That was up there. And as a matter of fact, that is the complete collection of that is twelve bucks right now oh, yeah. on, on PSN and Xbox Store. Uh, if you like the original Alien, uh, twelve bucks for that is a crazy deal. And a lot of also that, that game is long. It is too long, long frankly. Yeah. The other um, the, the thing about that that I think sets it apart and Outlast, for that matter, is hiding. Mm-hmm. There's lots of hiding in Alien Isolation. There's tons of hiding in Outlast. And I think that those are some of the best moments in interactive horror are when you're hiding somewhere and you feel the presence of the killer or the antagonist right there without, and he doesn't know that you're there. Mm -hmm. And I think that can build so much tension in a game. I mean, it's kind of the same thing you get in any stealth game, I guess, for... Yeah, well, it's like little things. Like Alien Isolation does a thing where... Like if you're hiding in, in like a like a locker or something, 
you can use the left stick to push yourself up against it to look out more or pull back and, and pull back and hide further in the shadows in the back. And that really doesn't, you know, if you're too far forward, some, something that look looking for, you can see you. The light will hit your face. And, yeah. um, and that's a very effective, and like you end up kind of like squ try, almost squishing your character into the back, trying to hide like in, in you know, hide through the back of the locker or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so they don't see you, and that's a very that's a very effective kind of it's, you know little simple things can make it work. The other thing that I think the the direction horror games seem to have been evolving recently has been the asynchronous multiplayer thing. Yeah, like, you know stuff like Friday the Thirteenth, especially Dead by Daylight, which is very a big deal right now. Um, like that kind of thing is is a is sort of like the new hotness. I that's actually say. a good point. That Friday the Thirteenth. Um is a good example, I think, of, mm -hmm. of where it's headed. And obviously that asymmetrical thing was kind of debuted and evolved, although I'm sure there's probably dozens of games before that that, uh, that uh, did it first. But that was kind of the first game where everyone was like, hey, what's mm -hmm. this new thing that everyone's trying? And one thing I would say, too, is that the whole slasher thing, like what you're getting with Friday the 13th, or like, you know, there's a new Halloween movie out right now, and mm -hmm. I love horror films, and I have no interest in going to see it because I've completely burned out on the whole slasher thing. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty good though. Did real well. Like I, I people got a hunger right now. I mean, horror some. movies are kind of in a revival right now. So, you can release them in months where films typically don't do well, and a horror movie will do well. Somewhat, but like uh, ha Halloween did crazy business. Halloween, yeah. I mean, I mean, so did Venom and A Star Is Born for October. That was it was some huge number. I mean, basically, it seems like people just need some escapism right now. Who knew? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Also, it's a weird thing to note, just because of some of the research I had to do on a thing I'm writing, like, a lot of classic horror movies came out after Halloween. You like, mean after the first one? No, after the literal day Halloween. Like, like you expect, like, a, a to horror come movie out to come out in, in time October. for people to see it for yeah, that. Yeah. But, like, like, the original Nightmare on Elm Street came out November 9th. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's uh, the timing of that was weird. But, um... I think the the main like kind of new frontiers for horror games is the asynchronous multiplayer stuff and VR. Like th those are the two places you can really push the envelope with horror in a way that you maybe haven't experienced it before. And I'm I'm sure you know people like playing Dead by Daylight aren't having like sudden like conniption fits over how scary it is or anything, but it's like the, the, the subject matter is the subject matter. Um, I do think Friday the 13th is a more compelling game, but obviously it was not the one that succeeded. Well, then you also have games like Hunt Showdown. Yeah, that's also that was also in my head. And but and it's not kind of in the slasher vein. It's in the more unnerving. Yeah, it's a little more Lovecraftian. I yeah. would say. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But a different approach on the same kind of game design. Mm -hmm. um, and I I liked Hunt Showdown far more than Friday the Thirteenth. But I think a big part of that is that Hunt Showdown is way more polished than Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. When I actually gave Friday the Thirteenth a spin, the whole thing just felt broken in a lot of ways things didn't work the way they were supposed to there was mm -hmm. all kinds of bugs and a lot of the bugs take the take you out of the experience yeah it's like oh my god jason's coming for me and then his mask like flies off and flies up to the moon and you're like oh that's not Whoops. really scary anymore and well, when, and i think that's a that honestly with horror games not having bugs is probably a bigger deal than mm -hmm. in any other genre. Yeah, probably. I mean, you don't want something to break kind of the immersion or the or the the, the facade. Um, I'd say you've also you're also seeing like horror be used as a, as a motif effectively in games that would maybe not be considered a horror game by you know what we class as a horror genre like uh, Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. Is is you know Darkest Dungeon isn't what we would call a horror game in terms of the gameplay we think of, but it's definitely a horror game. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, for sure. 
it's a psychological horror game for your characters and it's a oh my god what am i going to lose all this stuff horror game for you um, the tension is definitely there and the dread is there in the sim similar way to the hunt i think there's a lot of lovecraft in that game as well um one of the scariest games I've, I've played in recent years is Subnautica, just because I'm afraid of underwater <laughs> shit. Um, but you bring up a good point, though, in that horror is starting to creep into a lot more games where a game will have elements of it where it's not really a horror game. Like, there are moments in God of War where I was unnerved and a little bit scared, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not a horror game by any stretch of the imagination. And I think what we're starting to see is all these genres and all these themes are all kind of getting blended into these super games, for lack of a better term. Mm. These games that last for 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. Um, a lot of the, like, even the last, like, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like, there were some moments in that game where they kind of dip their toe a little bit into that type of thing. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is, not just with horror, but with everything, games are just turning into, like, potpourri now. Where they just grab little elements of all these different things and then kind of bring them all in. You have these moments that feel familiar to you. Chances are, if you don't play a ton of games, you're going to have moments that feel completely alien to you. And I think anytime something feels alien, you're going to be a little unnerved, and it's going to have that horror edge to it a little bit. Yeah, I, th I think it's mainly because uh, you know the tools and the way you can build games now, everything's so powerful and flexible. Like, if you want to throw in like a mission in a game that's otherwise not horror, that like deals with horror, horror tone or horror subjects, you can with a few... You know, you move some sliders and you change... It's not It's not like the old days where you basically had to build the game around that. Right. It had to yeah. be one thing and you had to build it to be that one thing and it had to do that one thing. Now you can kind of like tweak some settings and sort of like, here you are. You know, like... So I think the freedom uh, that the more powerful dev tools these days give developers to sort of, you know, change things like that up in the middle of a game that otherwise isn't doing that 100% of the time also means that you get to see a little more variety in that regard. And, and I do agree. Really, the, the next paradigm for horror games is VR. Um, I don't think there's any other medium that can convey that feeling, that sense, better than virtual reality. Mm -hmm. um, I just wish there were more people doing it. It's yeah. like... It is very... I mean, how many effective. good VR horror games are there, really? Like, three? Three or four, I would say. Depending on how sensitive some of you... I mean, I got... I know people that love horror and all they do is horror and their favorite thing is horror and they would not do that kitchen demo. Yeah. Like they wouldn't oh, do yeah, it. Oh, it's petrifying. Absolutely petrifying. I've, I've, like I said, I've, I use that to demo my PlayStation VR when people come over and a lot of people, like halfway through it, will just take it off and be mm -hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm cool. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And to me, that's about as effective as it can get. If you can get someone to a place where they don't want to experience it, that's real horror. Yeah. Although it's not very good for sales. No. <laughs> like. <laughs> but to me, VR is kind of the, the next frontier for horror games. Mm -hmm. Other than, like what I said, where they're kind of bleeding into all these other games and drips. And... I think it's definitely the way to kind of take the, the presentation to the next level. In a, it, certainly in a way that has not been done before. Because that's the other thing about VR is if you do it right, even something that's been done before is different. Feels new. Because yeah. it's not the way you're used to experiencing it. I mean, Astro, Astro Bot shows that, too, in a very yeah. very different way. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, like, I, I think that, that, you know, maybe horror games kind of will, will be sort of leading the way on that in the sense that, like, encouraging developers to not feel like they don't have to reinvent the wheel to make a VR game. They just need to make a good game that 
you know, through VR is presented to you in a way that you've never felt like you've experienced it before. Yeah, I mean, you even look at games like uh, Bloodborne and Dark Souls. Would you call mm-hmm. them horror games? Um, yeah, like, like there's definitely horror elements to them, especially Bloodborne. Bloodborne is an H.P. Lovecraft game. Yeah. Like, there's no question whatsoever. At a certain point, you realize that everything you've been doing in the entire area you're in is just a giant nightmare. Right. Kind of like horrible, you know, like there's creatures the size of buildings hanging on the buildings. And yeah. You could have been there the whole time, but you couldn't see them until right. now. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, def- I would absolutely categorize Bloodborne as a horror game. Uh, Dark, the Dark Souls games more horror elements, but Bloodborne is a horror game, no question. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this trailer, it's it's pretty obvious. Do you think that the mainstream is becoming more accepting of horror in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they were ever all that unaccepting. Horror, know, horror movies went through a pretty tough run there for a while. They did, but the the horror staples remained. You know, everybody knows Jason, everybody knows Freddy, everybody knows Michael Myers. Um, you know, everybody knows Alien. Uh, I think there there went through there was a period where horror kind of just became a, a gag. You know, like especially yeah. in the the period where R R rated yeah Scream Scream sort of took uh, some of the the fangs out of it, took the um, edge off of it. Yeah. And you had things where like you know we had Alien and Predator movies that were getting rated PG thirteen. Right. You know, nobody knew if it was even a viable thing anymore. Uh, but you had here and you know you always had sort of this undercurrent of. Um, with all, even through all the VHS schlock and all that stuff, you every once in a while you'd have like a Blair Witch Project or a Paranormal Activity that sort of set the zeitgeist on fire because yeah. everybody everybody wants to wants a good scare now and again. Um, and every, you know, even in in those times, like you, I don't Blair Witch Project and, and Paranormal Activity don't do anything for me. But like you, you've got the more cerebral stuff, which like uh, it follows, which yeah, I think is one of the really one of the best. Horror movies of the of the last couple decades, Frank. For me, like I wouldn't go that far, but it's definitely one of the best in the last like five years. Yeah, well, it's uh, I think it might be getting on five years now. <laughs> yeah, remember, it's that, been like four. Was it? Was yeah. it? Was it twenty thirteen? Yeah, was that was five years ago. Yeah, it's good. If you guys yeah. have not watched it, follows definitely. It's on like Amazon Prime right now. I think it should be on almost some everything. streaming service. Should be able to watch it for free. Probably it's a good. It's 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 very good at the dread thing. The yeah, ter- the terror absolutely. thing. You know, and and that question of like, well, it knows what not to explain and how not to explain it. Although it does run into the the issue where uh, you know there's a scene late in, the, late in the movie where a bunch of kid the bunch of the kids do a bunch of kind of irrational things trying to stop the thing, and people for some reason criticize it as being like a plot hole or whatever. Where it's like, I don't know where we hit the point where like a character doing irrational things or making a mistake is somehow an error in the story, right? Because, but like that's human nature. Yeah, like you put, <laughs> that's what we do. Like maybe, we make mistakes, maybe because like screw up. maybe because like in the schlocky horror movies, like people screwing up so they can get killed is so telegraphed and so stupid. But like if you're in that scenario, I promise you ain't thinking straight every minute. Oh, every absolutely day. not. So, um, uh, but I've and, learned that with games like Outlast. Like I'll make poor decisions. Like mm-hmm. when I'm under pressure, sometimes like there'll be one of those scenarios where like. One person knows you're hiding in the barrel, the other doesn't, and you're in this position of, okay, do I jump out? And now both people know that I'm in the barrel? or it, And I've made mistakes like that before. I've jumped out, and then mm-hmm. both of them know I'm there, and then they're just like, ah, you're dead. Hmm. Um, and I think you're right. Like Tension can make you make mistakes. It can make you get flustered. I think I experienced that a lot more in the early days of like the PlayStation 1 than I do mm-hmm. now. I, I think I'm probably desensitized to stuff like that a little bit more than I used to be. Um, but to me, there, there's a feeling that you can get playing horror games that you can't get anywhere else. 
And I feel like that way about horror movies. I know you're not a big fan of horror movies, but like I can watch a lot of movies and I get similar feelings and feedback from those films, but horror is very specific, very unique, mm -hmm. and the feeling that I get when, when experiencing or consuming media, whether it's a game or film or television, it's a different feeling that I can only get from that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons mm -hmm. why I, I like it so much. I just don't, I don't seem to have that gene or something. Like we had a horror movie night, uh, my regular movie night over the weekend. And it was two movies. One, one I hadn't, hadn't seen since I was a kid and one I'd never seen. And the one I'd seen when I was a kid was The Changeling with uh, George C. Scott. Yeah. Um, which I like, I like that movie, but like, looking up stuff afterwards like you know like i like to look up stuff on imdb and trivia and like you know reviews of the time and everyone just call, all these like filmmakers are calling the changeling the scariest thing they've ever seen and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about there's <laughs> n I, there was nothing scary in that movie to me I, I was entertained i like it and george c scott is amazing in that film but like, there's nothing in that movie I think is scary. I didn't. Either. Yeah, I've seen it before, um, and I didn't find. But it there's scary people either. saying like it was the most terrifying film I've ever seen, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. The other movie, by the way, was called Lady in White, from 1988. Never even heard of it. Uh, most people haven't. It stars Lucas Haas uh, as an adorable child. It is one of the strangest things I've ever seen. It is tonally all over the place. It's like it's like if you meshed. Um, the Lovely Bones with E.T. in the Heat of the Night and a Christmas Story. Like, okay. There's, like, scenes where, like, it's, like, a down-home New York, like, it takes place in 1962, and, like, some of it's, like, almost feels like some kind of, like, Americana Norman Rockwell, like, when I was a kid story, and uh -huh. then there's, like, a child murderer, like, ghost plot, and then there's a whole murder mystery thing, and then they blame the murders on, like, this black guy, and there's a whole lynching thing happening, and, like, there's Bizarre. all this civil rights stuff, and then at the end, like, the lady in white is on this cliff, and they run through the forest, and, all, and like, the lady in white does, like, all this weird shit, and, like, there's all this, like, special effects they really didn't have the budget to try in 1988, but they did it anyway, yeah. and, like... It's crazy. It was like the guy who wrote. It's a writer, director, composer who did the whole thing, and it's like he made. He didn't know if he was going to ever make another movie, so he made all the movies. Like it's. It, it'll go from like. It'll go from like. That we, happens a lot. We've with, discovered uh, more about this pedophile serial killer that's been killing a different child every year around Halloween, in the in this town to. The main character's grandparents who live with them as our Italian stereotypes running around going like, well, it's like, so we're smoking the cigarette. Why are you smoking the cigarette? It's like, it's like a movie has no idea what it should Weird. be scene to scene. It's called The Lady in White. Uh, you should be able to get it. I think, I think it's on Voodoo or something, right? But if you can get the, like, the extended director's cut, which adds like 15 minutes of completely pointless crap, um, it's like nothing I've ever seen. I'm not going to call That's it... saying a lot. I'm not going to call it good, right. but I will never forget it. <laughs> You know, another thing I love about games that I feel like only games can supply, or at least it to the magnitude that games can, is fear. So, you watch a film, and there's an intimidating character, or maybe a creature, or a monster, mm -hmm. or whatever. You, you have fear of it, but you fear more for the people in the film. You fear for them. You're scared for them. Yeah. Well, it's an identification thing. It's like... You see a thing in a film and you think, you know, you're, you're projecting yourself into the, in the people in the movie. You're thinking like, oh, what would I do if that happened to right. me? And in the game, ideally, if the game is functioning properly, it is happening It to is you. you. Yeah. And so that's why there's like, for instance... I think that's why VR is such an enhancement. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's why, like, for, in games, just 
knowing something can create fear. So uh, an example of that would be the original Resident Evil remake for the GameCube, the Crimson Heads. Knowing how hard they were to kill, like you see them the first time, they just scare you the crap out of you, period. But a lot of times in games, once you experience an enemy for the first time, the next time you experience them, you're like, eh, whatever, I've killed one of these before. But because the Crimson Heads were very difficult, very fast, and everything else was slow in the game, they just imparted this sense of doom and, and fear into the whole experience. And I think, again, that's something, because you physically, in games, have to take them out, and you're not sitting passively watching someone else try to take them out, just knowing that they're in the world can create a lot of fear. Going back to Nemesis in Resident Evil 2, knowing that he's following you all the way through the game and he could bust through a wall at, at any time and he's always kind of chasing you and right on your heels, that to me creates something in video games that you can't get anywhere else. I think that's a delicate balance. Like the Crimson Heads are not scary to me, they're just annoying. Um, I hated them because they just sort of broke the paradigm of the game. And like, when I would see one show up, I'm like, oh, fuck this. I, I got to deal with this stupid thing. I hated it. <laughs> like, I like the tyrant in Resident Evil 2 because the point of it is that you have to get away from it and run. Whereas the Crimson Heads, they basically wanted you to fumble with the awkward controls and the terrible camera angles to fight this thing that basically broke how the game was presented. And I don't find that scary. I find that infuriating. Um, Two different perspectives so, on the same thing, right there. It's just like it's, you know, it's I a, love them. I thought they completely changed the game. I took I hate took a lazy, reason. boring a game that had become boring because I had played it so many times into something completely fresh, new, I and scary. The, I hate the Resident Evil remake. I thought it was complete garbage. Uh, you're definitely on an island on that one. I think I, I seem to be, but there's like there is nothing interesting or nostalgic about pre-rendered backgrounds. That was a that was a technical limitation that they had to work around at the time, and the idea that it's some kind of gameplay thing to be admired or brought back is ridiculous. Well, I don't think anybody argues um, that. Of course I think, they do. I, I think most people hate tank controls. Not and... not at all. I have been in many arguments on the internet over the over the Resident Evil remake, and everybody loves that part of it. That's why they're upset that Resident Evil Two isn't that. Well, I think diving a little deeper. One of the reasons into I'm it, excited about Resident Evil 2's remake is that they aren't doing that. Well, one thing I would say is that the tank controls, because they're unreliable and very clunky and very awkward, they also create horror. Because you don't know if you're going to be able to get away. You're like, oh, these controls are all janky. Like, if they come after me, will I be able to get away before, like, the creature gets me? And that is the cheapest of the cheap. Yeah, see, again, that's I just, just infuriating yeah. to me. I, 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 I totally get it. it. I think most people hate the tank controls and the... Fixed cameras perspectives. I do uh, find from it interesting. Survival horror games. I do find it interesting how Resident Evil basically turned into an action franchise. Yeah. Until seven kind of brought it all yeah. around, but it's interesting to me that like. Well, in six they tried but, to have parts that were horror. Yeah, but like horror. I mean, horror seemed to kind of fall out of vogue in games for a while. Like no one was really making them. Silent Hill sort of evaporated uh, under its own weight. Yeah. Um, periodically, you get something like you know the I I didn't. There like, was literally a monster closet. Yep. <laughs> Did you see? That? I didn't like like Silent Hill Shattered Shattered Memories or whatever the Wii game was, but yeah. like at least they were trying. Yeah. Whereas like Resident Evil was just like punch a boulder. Yeah, it was. It was, there was no. There was no that pretense. All, that anymore. all started with Resident Evil Four, which is yeah. an amazing game, but it completely changed the tone of the series. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't call Resident Evil Four scary, but I think again it gets the tone right. There which were is more a important. couple moments that I thought were scary. Like the first time you fight the uh, the really tall dude with the beard in the barn, 
Yeah, he's intimidating. Or he was the, intimidating. Yeah. Or the first time you like see, well, I don't remember what the actual proper name is, but they're like the tall, kind of like skinny corpse things that can shoot the spikes out. Yeah, the first yeah, time you yeah. run into one of those, like, yeah. oh, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, more <laughs> yeah. that's more like less horror and more just like, oh God, look it's what fear. happened to Leon now. It's yeah. fear and <laughs> like, tension. That's what I was getting at. Horrible death scenes for Leon. But that's what I was getting at. Like in games, it is more impactful and powerful when when there's an intimidating character in the piece of art. Yeah, well, because could, you have to physically, not physically, but you have to deal with that thing yourself. You're not watching somebody else do it. You're not rooting for them or passively experiencing it. It's up to you to defeat it. It's up to you to avoid it. And I think that is just something that games provide that nothing else does in all well, honesty. I think, I think uh, Alien Isolation is one of the best examples of that aspect in the sense that, you know, you're being stalked by this by this alien, and you you can't kill it. You can only kind of dissuade it. And every time you use a method to dissuade it, it learns from it, and it won't you be can't do it again. again. Yeah. Um, and they do a neat thing with the AI, where there's two AIs in the game. One is like kind of an overall director of the game that knows where you are and where the alien is and what's going on at all times. And then there's a specific AI for the alien that never communicates with that director AI, and the alien behaves in certain. So the alien never knows where you are. So the alien itself is playing fair, but the game always knows where everything is so it can kind of direct everything to still sort of ratchet the tension up as it needs to to keep you interested. Um, it's a really good balance. If you're going to buy one horror game for this Halloween, I would say that, that Alien Isolation on sale is a pretty good bet if you, haven't bought, if you haven't played it before. Where would you like to see the horror genre going forward? What would you like to see it do? I would like to see a Silent Hill game come out that doesn't suck. Um, Not a bad start. Which... Uh, Chances of that are doesn't, very doesn't slim. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I don't. I don't care enough about horror games to really feel like I should be dictating where they should go next. I. I just. I play something that gets enough, enough good word of mouth or as an interest. Like I played Layers of Fear just because I thought the idea of like paintings that move and do weird stuff was interesting. Like, yeah. You know, I, I sort of pick and choose my battles on that. Um, or like something, you know, I, I think the, there's more interesting stuff being done in the indie space in horror right now, horror games. Uh, even something, I would say, something like Inside is horror-driven to some degree. You know, by the end of the game, there's definitely horror Yeah, happening. absolutely, yeah. Um, like that kind of stuff's more interesting to me. Even uh, The Missing that just came out. Uh, yeah. Like that's definitely got horror elements to it. And like, like make a game that's fun for me to play but has horror elements into, into it is more interesting. I, I wanted to get uh, Call of Cthulhu. Came out uh, yesterday, or today. It's today. It came out today. Yeah, not but, getting great reviews. But I didn't get around to it, and because uh, there's other things to play and other things to do, it was. A bit Sounds weird. like it's pretty bad. Like yeah. one of the worst releases of the year. Bad. Well, I didn't see it getting that bad reviews. It's getting but, uh, murdered pretty good. So it's basically critics. a walking, a Lovecraft walking simulator. A um, lot of journalists are saying they showed the first three hours of the game over and over, and now that they played the final version, the, only the first three hours are good. Mm. And they're they're starting to be like, hey, you like manipulated us into believing that the whole game was like this, and you just kept showing us these same sections over and over, and after that, the game just turns to like crap. Well, so. that's a that's another good one for for the old sale pile then. Yeah, I think you know what's really surprised me the most. I think is that. Horror games haven't really been the trailblazers as far as, like, gore and stuff like that is concerned in this generation. Mm. Like, more general action games, like God of War and stuff like that, tend to have more realistic gore than a lot of the horror games. Not that it's something that I feel like it needs or you have to have or anything like that. I just find it interesting that, for whatever reason, the, horror, the, the developers who make horror games 
haven't really focused on, hey, look at all these polygons we have now and what we can do with it. Mm. Now, I would say the Resident Evil 2 remake kind of bucks that trend. Yeah, it looks like they're there are, there are some really intense, detailed gore in that game. I would say that, like the forefront of, of uh, detailed anatomical gore probably for the, for a while has been the Mortal Kombat games. Yeah, um, <laughs> literally. They're still... Anatomical. They show yeah, like, the I, x-ray I, and like... I still find them comical and yeah. mostly funny, but like... And uh, they're borderline you, offensive. You can some tell. Of the stuff in those. Yeah, I don't really buy that. I, I, that's what they are. That's what they've always been. But like, you can tell someone at, at that at Nether Realms team has a giant anatomy book. Oh yeah, that, like, absolutely. It, it ain't it ain't the old the old games where like fourteen pelvises flew out of the guy. Right, and right. Like there's some there's some detail happening here. Yeah, absolutely. Some, now, that's it, a good point. Like the last MK was really gory, mm-hmm. like crazy gory. Like there's that one fatality where like they. Chop the guy's head off, and then the dude puts his cigar out on the bloody stub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't even want to know the people who come up with that stuff. But uh, but I think for we me... We know some of them. They're all very nice guys. They are, actually, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how it works a lot of times. Like, the people you least expect to could come up with those ideas are the most, like, mild-mannered... That's no, good, because they're getting it out and... In yeah, that, exactly. yeah, they're venting that's, it into that game. and That's, that's true. Makes him a happier man. Yeah. I, I think for me, the future of horror video games, um, I think first person is something I would hope for. More games to be first person. I think that is something about Outlast that makes it very effective. Um, I think... If you're going to limit your, your ability to see, I definitely prefer first person versus like a third person game where the camera's terrible. Yeah. Which was sort of the paradigm for... Why, was, why am I saying paradigm all the time? I don't know. It's a good word. It is a good it's, word. It's very versatile. You can use it in a lot of different I've ways. I've had it in my head for a specific description of Red Dead Redemption I've been saving until today. <laughs> so now it's on my mind. I keep using it. By the time we get to Red Dead Redemption, it's going to be like the 40th time I've said it. It's going to lose all like, its impact. Oh, it's just all about paradigms today. What the paradigm this and the paradigm that. <laughs> but I, I think when you play horror games that are in third person, it starts to get shades of a film where you're kind mm-hmm. of rooting for that character instead of feeling like you are that character. Mm-hmm. Um, Alien Isolation, obviously a great example of first-person horror. Yeah, although that is a strong character in there. Yeah. Eventually, you know, it, Amanda Ripley is not nobody. Um, and, you know, Silent Hill, I think, you know, uses the third-person protagonist well because it's so much about the psychological horror of what the town is doing to the specific person. And the whole idea that like not nobody sees the town the same way as anyone else, right. and you might actually be killing normal people, <laughs> depending <laughs> on how you interpret some of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that works, but like that's that's a that's a careful balancing act. Uh, I think uh, Resident Evil Seven definitely proves that uh, you know, first person is a little bit of a bunt, but uh, it works, and you can't really argue with success. Yeah, I think most of the best horror games in the modern era are first person games. I think you're also, also zombies get some aren't of this scary stuff. anymore. Zombies are not scary at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, they they really aren't. I, I they do not scare me one bit. In fact, now when I watch The Walking Dead, and it's like if you watch that show now, you can tell the producers are like, okay, we have to include the obligatory gore scene every episode where mm-hmm. for some random reason they have to fight zombies and chop their heads off. And like I've got to the point where when that part of the show comes on, I just like disengage. It's so funny. Like, if you talk to eight-year-old me, I'd be like, oh, my God, that was the best part of the show. But 
as you get older, and, and I think part of it is being desensitized a little bit. I do watch a lot of horror movies, and I've watched a ton of zombie movies throughout my life. Um, it's also just the fact that there's no there's no taboo against it anymore. You know, no, your mom's not calling you. You're not watching zombies again, all right? right. Like, no, you're right. Part of it, you know, when you're younger is that, like, the idea that you're watching a thing you're not supposed to be watching. Yeah, no, you're right. Or, like, you know, for whatever reason, my dad was like, you can watch whatever horror movie you want. So... My friends would always want to have sleepovers to come to my place because mm. they knew at my house, my dad would let us watch whatever we wanted to watch. And if we went to their houses, their parents were constantly coming in being like, what game are you playing now? What TV mm. show are you watching now? My dad was just like, I know what you have access to. I'm okay with you having access to it. I trust you. Do what, do what you will. So um, I would say that I have kind of fallen out with horror video games. I think at one point in my life, I would have said it was one of my favorite genres. Certainly survival horror at one point was one of my favorite genres. I don't uh, know if there's enough to call it one's favorite genre much anymore. Yeah. It, was, it just doesn't make up enough content total to and be a, that big of a presence. You're right. And a lot of them, like we just saw State of Decay 2 there, like a lot of the horror games now aren't really horror games. Like no, they use... A, these horror trappings or elements. Right, but as they, a trope or something, but it's really not scary to experience. Yeah, I mean, like... Like I was never scared playing State of Decay no, 2. Like State of Decay 2 could be like, I don't know, aliens. And yeah, it could be anything. Thing. It could be... Yeah. It's, it's just a, like a convenient platform for them yeah, to you, use. Yeah, you just need, you need things that are the, a problem. That you don't want to be grabbed by. Yeah. Or your guy will die. And not even that you're afraid to be grabbed. It's like your guy will die and you'll have to deal with the stupid gameplay mechanics that, <laughs> that punish you for that later. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, oh, now he's getting sick. He's got a fever. You know, it's like, yeah. ugh. Like, the, your, 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 your enemy in State of Decay is really the environment more than anything you're right. else. Uh, before we move on, any horror movies that you would recommend to anyone as they're enjoying Halloween week? <laughs> Well, other than Lady in White, if you want something right. that's really, yeah, I guess you did really weird. That um, hmm. Do I have any like old ones that? Uh, I don't know. I, I would tend to go back to the classics. Like you can't really beat stuff like The Exorcist and. Uh, and look, a lot of people watching this are young enough that they yeah. have not really experienced. And that stuff. Uh, I mean, Jaws, I think, is still terrifying. It is. Like it's yeah. you know, partly because sharks are real. And partly because uh, I'm not a fan of deep water, and partly because Spielberg knows exactly where to put that damn camera. Like, yeah. even just the very beginning, you know, where the where the girl is is attacked in the in the in the She's water at the beginning, at night, yeah. and you've got the 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 camera is just sitting there right at the, the water and, and the level. water keeps like lapping up against the lens, and you're just like, we get up just like a foot, just a <laughs> foot up, just get me out of the fucking water. Um, yeah. It's it's still very effective, I think. Yeah. It, you know, the other Jaws movies are pretty silly uh, for the most part. But, um, yeah, three is where they jump the shark. Really, Jaws one is just an astounding horror suspense film. Until the third act basically becomes like a cat and mouse chase movie, yeah, uh, which is also great, uh, just very different. Um, yeah, that's a good scary one. I'm trying to, like, I'm not a huge scary movie. Like scary movies to me are often like, let's watch a thing and make fun of it kind of thing. Because yeah. so much of it is you know hokey and. Like a schlocky VHS best of the worst from Red Letter Media kind of thing. Um, I watched many of those. <laughs> Let me tell you, which is definitely kind of my recommended, like Lady in the White recommendation is is along those lines. But it's more, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a it's a nice little ghost story what they're after. But there's also an element of like I can't believe this is a thing that exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's you you could you could sit around with some friends in Mystery Science Theater the hell out of it basically. Yep. So there you go. We wanted to celebrate Halloween with you guys and talk about horror games. Also, and... watch the original Halloween. 
Yeah, it's great. It's still that franchise also jumped the shark with uh, the third installment. Yeah. Or if you want the gore. The third installment was, didn't have Michael Myers in it at all. Yeah. It was all about this company that made Halloween masks. Oh, yeah. They had a Silver chip Shamrock. on the back that would make your head, like, melt. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> that was my first One experience. more day till Halloween, Halloween. Yeah, yeah I remember Silver that. Silver Shamrock. My girlfriend likes that one the best. What? She loves that one. Really? Yeah. Probably because she had no expectations of it being a Michael Myers movie because she's young enough that she saw it on TV and it was just a movie. That was the first movie I was ever disappointed in well, in my life. When first... it came out, I was so excited. We, Me and my friends all went to the theater. And back then, you didn't know stuff about movies. Right. Like, we were going to see Halloween 3. And we're like, Michael Myers, Halloween. And we get there and we're just like, what is mm. this crap? Like... My first disappointment in the, in the movies was uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> I was seven years old, and I hated that movie. I complained about it in the backseat all the way home. My dad, my dad would tell that story for he's like, yeah, you took him to Return of the Jedi after waiting three years, and all he did was whine about it all the way home. <laughs> he still doesn't believe that she's his sister. And so I do not. Yeah. But... Um, now, season of, the thing about like I I can understand why Carpenter was into the thing about how he wanted to make make Halloween more of an anthology series that just happened to have Halloween as a central theme. But you can't start that on the third movie. Yeah, you like, can't you, do the first two. Yeah, with like, continuity. Like they got trapped in the whole thing where the first one made so much money that the studio's like you have to bring Michael Myers back, and yeah. it was terrible. And now we've got the what's the new one is like a it's a sequel. It's like the third. Know. It's the third Halloween two, basically. So it's the sequel. It's a sequel to the first movie that ignores all the other sequels, as not which is different from the 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 remake that ignored the first one, and then had a sequel to the remake which was ignoring Halloween two, and so this is the third <laughs> Halloween two, and it's it's the sequel to the first movie that ignores the original Halloween 2, not to be confused with the remake of Halloween 2, which has nothing to do with the original Halloween 2, because it's a sequel to the remake. So you're sort of, the new movie sort of ignores everything after the original Halloween, but it takes elements, except for maybe the sixth movie, but then it takes elements from all the sequels and puts them in the new movie. How does it explain that Jamie Lee Curtis is, like, geriatric? Because it was 40 years ago. Oh. How does he... Because that that is actually an interesting <laughs> thing. There, so it means Michael Myers should be like seventy five. He's like. just the shape. <laughs> um, the uh, well, also like they do kind of like touch in the new movie. They touch on the ideas like of like wait, so like one guy killed like five people forty years ago in this town, and we care about that. And in, in an era yeah. where someone shoots up like seventy people in Vegas, like like the the thing that well, happens in Halloween that, is not like. A horrifying crime is just scale like, wise today. We- now like, it's Wednesday. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that he used a knife is weird. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. It'd be unique, but it wouldn't be like, oh my god, I'm, like you should be, and because, and you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in the new one has basically gone Sarah Connor. Like she's full on, like right. You know, like I'm, and and then like the now now Michael Myers would just use an AR-15. Yeah. Well, the. the <laughs> Like, the second half of the movie kind of flips everything, and, like, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis hunting Michael Myers. Oh, so okay. So that's sort of the appeal that. is, like, there's a... Like, it's it, like they've, they've really turned the last girl trope sort of on its head in the sense that at a certain point, maybe you're rooting for Michael. Because, like... Really? She gets a little intense. Oh, uh, okay. High Tension was like that, though. It was all about a girl that, like, she's all, yeah. all these guys, but she's the one who outlasts them all. I like that, though. I like And then... The, yeah. The twist. Right, right. Which a lot of people think is stupid, but I think it works because of what it's trying to imply. I honestly think it ruined the movie. I think if they chopped off high tension 
the last five minutes of it, it would be heralded as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I think it's still one of the better ones. It is. It's, it's still uh, great. But, like, the twist works because it's, A, it's an unreliable narrator, and B, if you watch it with that in mind, the way everyone, the way the, I can't remember the name of the, the, the woman who plays the, the her friend, the gets kidnapped. She's actually the same woman who plays the Blue Octopus opera singer in uh, Fifth Element. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> the, but she, uh, the way she's reacting to everything Especially when the girl shows, like it, it actually works. Yeah. If, if, like the clearly, she's playing it with the twist in mind, and I, I always appreciate when when there's some some performance consistency in that regard. We've mentioned high tension on uh, Game Face before. We actually had a an editor who worked with us at G4 that worked on the film and is actually mm-hmm. in the film. He's the convenience store worker <laughs> during yeah. one scene. He doesn't last long in the film. I won't ruin anything, but I, that is one movie I would highly <laughs> I recommend. I think he did. <laughs> If you're rooting for the convenience store guy, sorry, you know what happens now. <laughs> uh, but I would highly recommend High Tension. And in fact, the last time I talked about it, somebody did go watch it and they thanked me afterwards. So if you're looking for a good horror movie, you can probably find it on every streaming service. And it's it's an import, so you may not have ever seen it. It was never really in theaters here. Yeah, it was. It had a short run, though, I think. It was in Art House right. film. I yeah. mean, I saw it in a theater, but it yeah. was... Uh, yeah. But it never made it to, like, all corners of the United States. So, high tension, I think. Uh, you'll thank us later if you watch that during the week. Yeah, just remember uh, it's told in a flashback. Right. That's a good... And sometimes people don't remember things... People remember things the way they want to remember them. Instead of how they happened. Yep. Yep. All right, so let's move on. We're going to talk next about Soul Calibur Six. We're a little late on this one. Yeah, um, because we did basically an all Red Dead episode last week. Yeah, but we... also I forgot that I played it. Yeah. <laughs> when you asked me what else I'd been playing in uh, last week, and I was like, oh, yeah. nothing, and uh, and so we just did Red Dead. But I That's, after is the that show, a testament to Soul Calibur Six? Uh, that you that is kind of all you need to know <laughs> that I had played it for like seven hours and I didn't remember I'd played it. Um, <laughs> I mm. have not played the final version. I played the beta. You guys know my impressions of that. I was not a fan of Soul Calibur Six at all. But Matt. How about you? Do you like it more than I did? Eh, I, I think it's it's fine. I think it's it's uh, it's a moderately solid game. Um, it works as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I do think the the critical edge stuff is a weird break in the flow. Um, like I've adjusted to it, and I can like uh, it's an interesting mechanic. But I think. I think you said before, like you know, I'm not sure it belongs in Soul Calibur. Well, so it's the reversal edge, is the reversal, new yeah, reversal yeah. edge. Whatever the edge. Well, is. they have edge for everything. There's reversal edge, critical edge, guard impacts, lethal yeah. hits. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of, lethal hits and all that stuff. Seems feels more or less like your standard parry or like counter system, um, or like you know hitting the guy when they're trying to attack you does extra damage. That's the, the guard impact. In, that's yeah. the counter system in uh, in Street Fighter. Is if you hit somebody when they're in the middle of a move, you do more damage pretty standard but it's the reversal edge thing where everything stops for a game of uh, paper rock scissors that is a little strange to be putting into uh soul caliber i think it's strange to put it into any fighting game yeah, the clash the clash idea is something that happens in a lot of games um a lot of fighting games and it, it, it more or less it works if you can fit it in there uh i just feel like soul caliber has always been so much about the flow yep. that putting that in this game is a strange show it almost it feels a little bit like you just needed a thing like you needed a gimmick you had to have some feature um yeah. like, like i don't find the, it, it's a similar system is in uh like injustice 2 or the injustice games have that thing where you get the yep. little quick cutscene and they come together and whoever bet the most or whatever 
you know, win, wins the mat, wins the little showdown. Like I don't, I don't find that to be uh, an interruption the way it is, the way the reversal edge is in this because like they make the in, in injustice they make it like a character moment. Like they, ever, they trade barbs, they talk to each other. You get right. you know, a lot of times they're they're custom to the specific characters that are talking to each other. Like they're you know if you're fighting Superman, like your character will actually say something relevant to Superman, right. and not just a yeah. random taunt. Yeah, which is cool. That's a good money, especially in a character driven game like Injustice. It works. Uh, this just sort of stops the action for a second, so everybody can try to you know be the one that gets the little extra combo. But overall, my problem is it's all luck. It's luck. It is. It it's is rock paper scissors. And we are talking about fighting games, particularly if you're thinking about this being at Evo or any of the big fighting game tournaments. Do you want something that relies so much on luck to be a part of that? Well, there's always an element of luck to these games. For and, sure. Uh, I mean, there's an element to luck to anything in life, but. It doesn't. It doesn't like ruin anything. I don't think it's not going to unbalance the game. Uh, you know, it's it's just a weird choice. It's uh, not a choice I specifically agree with, but I don't think it ruins anything. Um, the final game has a ton of single player content, which is. Uh, Did you play the campaign at all? Yeah, I played the. How is it? Well, there's two of them actually. There's a story mode, uh, which sort of tells the overall story of the game. And is and that it, just a typical ladder of opponents that you fight? No, no. That's arcade mode. So there's okay. a, a story mode. You get a giant like screen sized timeline, and at the top of the timeline is the main story, which mostly focuses on Killick. And you can go through each individual kind of... There's like 10 or 12 little like scenes there. You go through and do all the different fights, and you get the main story of the game through that, and he runs into a bunch of characters. And then down below it, there's a, there's a, there's a line for every character in the game. And they each have little individual mission stories you can go on through the timeline of the main story. Uh, and you unlock some of those by playing the main story and advancing the timeline in, this, in the main Killick mode. And then you also uh, can unlock stuff from the other campaign. So the other campaign, whose name I forget, it's like Legends of the something or yeah, whatever. It's, it's but you, but you, create a, uh, you create a character. You're an original character. You, there's all these different templates and classes you can pick from. There's like monsters and some pretty goofy options. Too, weird, right? you know, elves and beast people and humans and so, so you can create a character however you want. Um, pick pick a particular weapon for weapon style, and then you play kind of a more traditional Soul Caliber campaign, which like is a giant map and you go from dot to dot to dot and do the different different missions and. You get paid, and you, you have to like you can do like side quests, but you have to pay money for transport to those side quests, and so that's sort of the limiting factor of like doing stuff early on is how much money you have to work with. So, and as you build your character up, you unlock stuff, and that can unlock things in other modes. And you know, it's there's a lot to do. It's a, it's very in depth. Uh, is any of it fun? It's as fun as Soul Calibur gets. I, I mean, guess. it's just ultimately you're just it's just a string of fights again. Yeah, but it's a it's a story. It's about like all these rifts opening and. And why these like swords are so important? It's it's just doesn't it make any sense. No, not really. Because this this series has never made sense. Its lore, to me, has never made no, well, a lick of sense. Well, there's 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 two swords. And one of them's evil, and one of them's good. There's Soul Edge and Soul Caliber. Yeah, That's I've got it. that part. That's really all you <laughs> That's need. About it, though. <laughs> it's really all you need. The uh, Soul Is Edge. Is it all you need? That explains everything you need to know about why the characters are the way they are, pretty much. I mean, I you mean, start thinking about what NetherRealm is doing, though, with its fighting games. Yeah. But like, Does this measure up now to play a campaign like that versus... No, but, like, I think you're not dealing with... 
characters as strong as what Mortal Kombat and Injustice have to work with. So they're sort of doing their best. And they're doing it in the vein of how Soul Calibur has always sort of been. So I appreciate that. At the very least, it's better than Soul Calibur 3, which would erase your save at random. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and I play, you know, played some online stuff. The online play is fine. Uh, you know... Good mix of a good mix of uh, characters. I didn't feel like I was playing the same characters over and over again, against the same characters all the time. Uh, Geralt works well. Uh, I guess they're adding two B from uh, yeah. near. I was Automata really surprised now. to see that. Yeah. Uh, I guess Soul Calibur is just like the crazy like anything goes. Anything goes. Game. I mean, I guess that was true <laughs> as soon as the Star Wars character yeah. showed up. But like, yeah. Um, and Master Chief, right? Yeah. Well, no, that and was Spawn. Uh, that was Dead or Alive. Yeah. Spawn was in. Spawn was the Xbox version of two. Yeah. And then Link and Heihachi and the others, and then you had the Star Wars uh, characters in four, and you had uh, Ezio in in five. Yep. And uh, so, I mean, frankly, if that's how they want to do it, if they want to use sort of the history, you know, uh, time portally, uh, you know, because <laughs> that's because that's pretty much what the story is in the in the the creative character mode is like. You have these abyssal tears that basically lead to other worlds or other whatever, and anything and everything can come out of them or go into them. So if you're going to use that to justify like bringing in all these other game characters and have them put them in the game, like I'm kind of on board with that. Like that's pretty great. Like yeah. Ger- Geralt's pretty fun to play as. It's like Two Smash B- Brothers for yeah. adults. Like Two B Two B is a good choice of character for there. It's, it's fun, you know the. The gratuitous ass shot character versus the gratuitous cleavage character. They got <laughs> Ivy paired up against her in the in the official media. Like that's cool. Like I can get on board if like their DLC is just gonna kind of be like all these weird an all star. Yeah, all star. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd call Geralt and Two B the all stars of video games. Well, Geralt like, is definitely Geralt, but Two B. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I'd be I'd be down with some of that. Like it's some. Although someone was saying, I mean, that's kind of what, what Namco's been doing. They put Noctis in Tekken. Yeah. So. Screw it. Why not? Do you, do you think that um, if for big Witcher fans that having Geralt in the game is worth a makes it worth a purchase? Uh, probably not for full price, but yeah. something to get around to eventually. Um, especially with uh, Thronebreaker uh, out right now. I mean, not that that focuses on Geralt, but it's part of the Witcher world. Yeah, in, a, in more so than than this. Um, but it's, if you're if you're a fan of uh, the Witcher, I would definitely get around to this at some point when it's cheaper. Um, certainly don't go out and throw 60 bucks at it just to play as Geralt for five minutes. Who should throw 60 bucks at this game? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm having a problem understanding as well. There are so many, at this point, we're at the end of Generation 8, there are so many good fighting games available for these platforms yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's still fairly singular in the sense that, you know, the, kind of the smooth, plain, weapons-based soul caliber style fighter is not a thing that's often or easily replicated so like if you want to play something like soul caliber this certainly fills the bill um it's got pretty much all the characters you could ever want uh they don't look amazing because they're a lot of them are using old models but it doesn't look bad like it, you know it's it's fine i think it I, does I, I personally think it does look bad i don't think it looks bad it just looks bad look yeah. at the environments though Look at that. I mean, we've watched, I don't know, eight invi- minutes of this, and every single stage just looks like ass. Yeah, I think the environments actually look f- better than the characters for the most part. Like, they're just boring locations. But that's Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur is just a big platform you can knock a guy off, like, and they don't make any damn sense. They never have. It's like, 
It's like every, all the old ruins are just like a perfectly square brick platform. Like, yeah, there aren't a lot of know, fighting games that even have ring outs anymore either. No, ring outs are an unusual them. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen much anymore, but this game still has them. You can still knock people off of platforms yeah. and win around. Strangely satisfying at times. Just Cause just because DOA of... has actually kind of done the opposite where it creates like these hazards at yeah. the edge of the environment that will actually bounce you back into the environment. Yeah. Or or knock you down a whole animated sequence right. where you end up in a different in another area. area. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I struggle to find any reason for someone to buy this, and especially with Soul Calibur five out there, because this game really isn't all that different. Really the only change that it has from Soul Calibur V is the reversal edge. Yeah, but I think this, the single-player content is substantial enough that it would be... I'd say it's worth a pickup uh, when it gets cheap later. Cause I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay full price for it. It's another feature, the critical edge, which was debuted in Soul Calibur V, has been brought over into mm -hmm. six. Um, really, the reversal edge is the only new mechanic in the game. Yeah, that's the, the big new mechanic for the most part. Now they have tweaked some of the stuff, like the critical edge, which is basically just a one button super. Um, it takes the whole meter just like it did in Soul Calibur V, but um, the I think it's the lethal hits. Yeah, they've changed how that mm -hmm. works now. It doesn't take like a whole, like as much of the meter as it did before. Um, no, that's the guard impact. The guard impact, which are parries, Mm -hmm. and and kind of counters, those those take no cost as a meter at all now. Whereas in Soul Calibur mm -hmm. 2, which is where they originated from and they disappeared for a while, in Soul Calibur 2 it did use some of the meter, and now they... You use your guard meter. Right. Um, whereas now there's, there's, no, there's two meters, so... You got a super meter and you also have a guard meter. The guard meter is not really a meter, it's just a glow around your life bar that warns you when you're getting too low, and that's when your armor gets knocked off. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, Soul Calibur V was not a well-received game uh, for the most part in terms of like the tournament scene. Um, I don't know if this game's going to move that needle. Um, they're, cer they're, they're certainly trying to, but like it doesn't look like there's any sort of movement on that just yet. There hasn't really been a major fighting game tournament to really see how it's all working together yet. Um, I feel like Tekken 7 is sort of popular enough that that's pretty much going to be the Namco fighting game yeah. of, of choice. Uh, for the foreseeable Dragon future. Dragon Ball Fighters, obviously. Yeah, that, that's different because, like, you know, that's a licensed thing. Uh, I think you you've got uh, a lot more going for that than just being Tekken. Yeah, has for going for Tekken. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a weird choice if you're gonna like throw this out there in an increasingly crowded fighting game market. It feels like you would have maybe wanted to put a little more effort into it. Uh, rather than just sort of making Soul Calibur V again with some tweaks, but uh, I don't know, it's not. I have a feeling you're going to be able to buy this game in uh, January or February for like thirty-five dollars. Yeah, I think I wouldn't surprise me because I could see retailers ordering a ton of them. Like maybe if because you're they're like, oh, it's Soul Calibur. Like maybe if you're going to do the the buy two get one free thing uh. at Target and you can't think of a third game for your like second or third group of three, right? right. This <laughs> might be a pretty good choice. Yeah. Uh, I have not played the final version, so I only played the beta, and I did not enjoy it really at all. I, thought, I, I enjoyed it fine, but it wasn't like something that I can say you should take time away from some of the other games that are out right now to play, let alone pay for. So, all right. And again, I forgot I played it. Yeah. So. <laughs> we could have probably just started or just ended it right there, mm -hmm. where you said I played it for seven hours and forgot that I had played it. Yeah. Because that says a lot. And I got, I mean, it got real fast to the point where I just kind of turned the sound down and played like 
you know, YouTube videos while I was whacking people with a sword. Yeah. And it was, it did nothing to grab me and pull me back into it after I'd, you know, played it initially. It was just, it, it didn't hook me. That happened to me too. I was, I had planned on playing it all through the weekend. I played the beta on Saturday morning for like, I don't know, four hours. And I had no interest in going back mm-hmm. to it after that. So, um, I don't know. I do consider myself a Soul Calibur fan, and I'm not really hyped on this game. So I say well, tread was, very one, carefully. When was the last Soul Calibur game you were hyped for? Because um, for me, it probably really comes down to two. Like, I mean, like, hype through the roof, yeah. But, I mean, it had, like, Link, and, I mean, that, yeah. was, that was a special thing. Plus, it was just coming off of, like, the first Soul Calibur that I played to death on Dreamcast. Which was, oddly, the second Soul Calibur. Right, yeah, because Soul Edge, technically, yeah. is the first game from the arcades. And then they call Soul, now Soul Calibur 2, which is the third game. Right, right, yeah. Probably Soul Calibur 4 is the last one I was even kind of excited for. Yeah, I don't... I mean, Soul Calibur 4, I was, I was only interested because you could play as Star Wars characters. Yeah. Like, I wasn't really interested in the rest of the whole... But show. that's why. Because yeah. it... After Soul Calibur 2, where those guest characters got me excited. And this game, initially, I was excited when I found out Geralt was in it. Mm. And now that I've played it, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I still enjoy, enjoyed playing as Geralt. But it definitely got me to pay more attention to it than otherwise. Yeah, uh, for sure. But yeah, If you really wanted to kind of catch my eye over again with this game, I think, you know, 2B is a good start. Yeah. Like, uh, I think if they... It doesn't raise my eyebrow. Yeah. I was like, mm, that's a good choice. If they go yeah. more gonzo and picking out some characters and throwing them in here, like, from, from other companies and other games, like, you know, like, I, I could come back. I could... Uh, it could end up being, the way games are supported now for, like, two years, it could actually end up being a game that, over time, does better than it did at launch. Yeah. I mean, like, or you could do... Go nuts. Like, you know, I mean, now they've, clearly they've got to deal with Square, yeah. right? Put Raziel in there. Why not? Give me a Raziel. Give me give me Lara Croft. Give yeah. Me, like who knows? Like go go crazy with it. Like Lara Croft didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, she could whack people with her pickaxe. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that pickaxe is pretty I, deadly. I do Raziel with a Soul Reaver. I'd be down with that. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people would. And people haven't seen him for a long time. It would yeah. generate a lot of buzz. So, so there you go. That's Soul Caliber Six. I probably should have played it more. Although I tried to stay out of the conversation today. Mm. Kind of just let you do your thing, but I think a lot. I think most people know what they're looking at with this thing. Yeah, like you, 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 you know, and I, I feel like people have, you know, if it's worth it or not. I mean, the, the single player content is robust, but like, you have to have something better to do right now in the gaming oh, space. Like, and that may be part of the problem for this. If it if it had come out in a February or March time frame, might have had a little more traction. Yeah. It's been kind of forgotten here over the last couple of weeks. By us as well. We're talking about it like a week and a half after it came out. So mm-hmm. just not high on the priority list. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the PlayStation Classic. We have talked about the PlayStation Classic before, but that was when we just had the initial announcement for it. And they had told us, what, were there five, six games at first? Five games. Five should, games yeah. at first. And was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, early yesterday morning, like it, 5 in the morning Pacific time. Yeah. So yesterday they finally announced the entire lineup for the PlayStation Classic. I think the trick here is that the Japanese and U.S. versions are really different. Mm-hmm. There, there are, there's more than a handful of games that is on one and not on the other. But let's talk a little general first. Let's talk about the U.S. version. So... In our last conversation, we basically said must-have was Metal Gear Solid. We're Metal, Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII are your two 
requirements for a PlayStation Classic, I would say. And so now we're getting Metal Gear. Yeah. We had talked about how maybe the controllers might be an issue and things like that. Yeah, but... I mean, it's just, uh, you could play it with a non-analog controller. Like, certainly it was from the time where you people were not expected to, by default, have that. Yeah. So. Not my preferred method, but at least it's on there. Yep. So I'll, I'll just run down all the games in the U.S. version right now. Battle Arena Toshinden. That's a curious inclusion. Cool Borders 2, which was kind of a cult hit back when it came out. Although I think Cool Borders 1 was actually the bigger hit. It seems like Cool Borders 2 was kind of after the phenomenon had died. Destruction Derby, which was what I talked about when we talked about it before, about a game that came out at launch that I felt like I was the only one that played it, and I played it to death, so I'm pretty excited for that. Final Fantasy VII, we knew about that already. Grand Theft Auto. The first Grand Theft Auto, the top-down, 2D... Unplayable garbage. (laughs) But it started a sensation, man. No, GTA 3 started a sensation. The first two Grand Theft Autos were like, what? Yeah. Like, it it didn't even work. Like, you can't drive at high speeds in a top-down... Thing, like it, it, it didn't. It never worked. It was brazen, though. The content oh, yeah. for the time was pretty eye-opening. It's also the only game in the series where you can play as a woman. Yeah. You you pick your character because the character doesn't matter. Right. It's like you pick like from like I think it's like ten different characters at the beginning. Yeah. Um, you're right. A- Grand Theft Auto Three is what really set the franchise into motion. But it, I don't think Grand Theft Auto is a terrible game. I think some people will be I surprised do. though when they play it. They'll be like, "Really? This is what started it all?" Like they, they're different. They might as well be different. I mean, they could have started the numbering over with three, and no one would have blamed them. No, you're right. Like they could have just called it Grand Theft Auto. No, one I, I've I've run into. I mean, back in the day when GTA Three really blew up, like I remember people's like where I they didn't know it was. The, same. the third game in the series. I'm like, why oh, do you right, think it's right. called GTA 3? And they're like, oh, I thought because it was like three parts of the map or something. It was like, <laughs> it was like people didn't think about what the title right, implied. Right. I yep. will say that GTA 2's uh, expansion that was like sort of an Austin Powers inspired like swinging 60s London thing, I thought that was a fun idea. Like, uh, I, I never I would, I would love it. to see them go back to that in an actual modern game at some point. It could happen. But I, but I think we've said before, like the idea of GTA leaving America is probably not a thing that's going to... GTA is so much a satire on America, I don't think it's going to be going to London anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, Intelligent Cube, that's... That's a choice. That's a throwaway. Yeah. That was Sony saying, oh my gosh, we don't have have 20 games. Throwing a puzzle game. (laughs) Jumping Flash. Early classic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Driller. Sure. Ryan Davis was a huge fan of Mr. Driller. I associate that with a DS for some reason. He would talk about it all the time. I had never even played it back when he would talk about it. And I'm like, really? What is this Mr. Driller thing? But he was a big fan of it. Um, I would would be more on board with No One Can Stop Mr. Domino. Yeah. He loved that game too, actually. (laughs) He loved that. He loved like Marble Madness. He loved like the most strange games. Like his favorite games were games that maybe like 50,000 people ever played. Uh, like take out Intelligent Cube and put in Incredible Crisis, and take out. Uh, I'd forgotten about Incredible. Take Crisis. out Mr. Driller and put in No One Can Stop Mr. Domino. <laughs> uh, Oddworld's Abe's Odyssey. There had to be an Oddworld game. Like I guess, but like that game, those games are so available on so many other Everywhere. platforms that yeah. it just seems like a waste. You of can the get slot. It on your phone like, for like fifty cents. Uh, Rayman. 
Rayman's a valid inclusion. Like, it was a thing at the time. But again, Rayman didn't really get good until 2. Yep. Uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut. So, RE's in there. It had to be in there. Yeah, that's, you gotta represent Resident Evil somehow. Yep. Persona. Weird inclusion, but I'm not gonna argue with it. Especially, For the U.S. version, I'm really surprised. Especially because it's such a rare game. Yeah. Like, that's a... That's a that's a good way to play play it without having to have either a PS3 or a very expensive reprint. Yeah, I mean the US version of, has that. I'm really surprised by that, and I know Persona Five did pretty well, but that's still pretty shocking to me. Uh, Ridge Racer Type Four, obvious, have... obvious choice. Although I prefer Rage Racer. Yeah, I don't know. I think Type Four is probably my favorite Ridge Racer. It's good. I mean, it's, it's probably the one I would pick for widest appeal, but I like Rage Racer. And next is a game that I think a lot of people may have never played, but I think if they get the PlayStation Classic, they may find they play it the most, and that's Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. Oh, I think that's a little better known than you might think. Really? I've run into a lot of people that you that aren't even really big gamers, but they love that game. I mean, it might be the game on this thing that it's, has the long, the best legs. Yeah, it's also like you find them in kind of those like adult arcades. Like there's there's a Super Puzzle Fighter permutation you find in those pretty often. So it's it's still a thing here and there. Here here to me is one of the most overrated franchises in the history of video games. And some people hate me for saying this, I'm sure. Siphon Filter. Siphon Filter is garbage. It, look, it is synonymous <laughs> with the PlayStation <laughs> yeah. brand. Oh, but yeah. But that franchise to me has always been terrible. Ter- yeah, it's I've awful. never enjoyed one entry in that franchise. No. To me, Siphon Filter was, oh, I don't have an N64 and I can't play GoldenEye. Yeah. So, no, Siphon Filter's better. It was like a weird, like, it was like, is that, and kind of like, it, they intentionally sort of made Gabe Logan uh, look, <laughs> look like weirdly like Solid Snake, like he had a kind yeah, of a gray outfit to fool and sort people, of thing. Yeah. But then he ran like he had a load in his pants, so it's, it didn't really work out. A lot of characters time. on the PlayStation 1 ran like they had loads and in their pants. And it also is like, Siphon Filter's the name of a virus in that? I mean, it's like honestly, a weird Snake name for runs anything. like he's got a load in his drawers. Well, I'm beginning to wonder if Hideo Kojima has ever actually seen someone run. I know. Because, <laughs> like, no one All in his, his games, games run like, like normal people. <laughs> right. Uh, Tekken 3, we already knew about that. Great entry. I mean, if you're going to pick a Tekken, that's probably the one you would yeah. want. Uh, Twisted Metal, which we had, that was on our wish list when we talked you about it the first Rainbow time. Six. Oh, I did. I did. I, sk- I totally which skipped Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. Which kind of says something. <laughs> right, because I don't even remember Rainbow Six on the PlayStation. Well, because this was when Rainbow Six was a, like a hardcore tactical game. Right, where you actually assign people to go yeah. in here and do this. I never really enjoyed Rainbow Six when it was yeah, like, like that. You spent more time planning the raid than, the raid. than actually playing Well, because the raid would last like 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. Like you go in, it would just execute and happen. And you're should. like, is that it? Like, yeah, I mean, that was the appeal at the time. Marcus Beer loved uh, the old Rainbow Six games. Uh, and then Twisted Metal, like I said, it was on our wish list for games when we talked about it at first. It's good to see they got one of those on there. And then Wild Arms, which for whatever reason, Sony seems intent on pushing that franchise mm. in the West out of nowhere. There's a yeah, mobile game sure the coming up soon. I and... like Wild Arms. It was, uh, it was the RPG I bought to tide me over when I bought the PlayStation 1 earlier in the summer in preparation for Final Fantasy 7. And I ended up liking Wild Arms better than Final Fantasy 7, so yeah. that worked out for me. Um, that is, that is a list. <laughs> that is a list of games that came out on the PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, okay, let's run through the Japan model really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think this might be a case actually where 
people might want to buy the Japanese version instead of the U.S. version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ark the Lad 1 and 2. Ark the Lad. Other fr- that, that's another franchise that was pretty big in Japan. It's yeah. never really had the same traction in the West. No, it was, it was one of uh, Working Design's last big releases. They've all been released here, but yeah. they just haven't done especially well. Armored Core. Great. Only in Japan, which is... Odd. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I thought that franchise was pretty big here. Yeah, it hasn't been around for years. I mean, the last time... God, the last time like one of those came out was probably like 10 years ago. Yeah, at least or more. Uh, a lot of them, though. I mean, it was a big deal for a while, for a couple, like three generations. Yep, Battle Arena Toshinden. That Again. is that is also in the U.S. version. I mean, that was like a launch title. That was an early, early, early game. I mean, I remember playing that. I mean, that game was awful, but I remember playing it because it was like the only thing like that yeah. at the time. It was like that or Tekken. Was it where your two fighting options? Uh, Devil Dice. I've never even heard of this game. I remember that. Yeah, I do not remember it. I, pl- I never played it, but I remembered people talking about Devil Dice at the time. It was one of those, like, superior Japan game things, like, on the on the Usenet boards back in the day. Uh. <laughs> back when, like, importing stuff was, like, leet. Oh, yeah, you were, like, godly. Back when you, back when you said leet. <laughs> back, back when you said leet. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, if you were willing to chuck, chuck out that extra 20 bucks for a yep. game, you were a, a man among men. Uh, G. Darius. Yep. I, I don't... Know what that is? That's a that's a shoot 'em up. That's so it's a, a shmup, like a yeah. side-scrolling shooter. Yeah. Darius is a uh, it's it's a side-scrolling shoot 'em up that um, very fish-oriented, like mechanical. Like the f- band? No, <laughs> uh, mechanical fish. Yeah. Like like everything's a mechanical fish, basically. Okay. They're good. They're, I had uh, G Darius, uh, or was it G Darius Savior? I I added one of them on Saturn, an import for Saturn. Might have been G Darius. Uh, then Gradius Gaiden, another side-scrolling shooter. Yeah, never played that, but uh, I played Gradius, but I've never played that particular one. I mean, that, that genre is more popular in Japan, so it makes sense that they put a couple on there. Oh, sure. Uh, Intelligent Cube, which is also in the U.S., Jumping yeah. Flash, Metal Gear Solid, Mr. Driller, all in the U.S. version. Parasite Eve. Why is it that in the U.S. version? Uh... I don't know. Can we swap out Parasite Eve for Rainbow Six, Siphon Filter, Persona? I don't know. Yeah. I'd probably switch it out for Persona. I wouldn't get rid of Persona. Persona's a... Because it's pers- rarity? Because of rarity and also because it's a good game for what it is. Like, at least it doesn't define the PlayStation, but, like, I wouldn't get rid of it until I had to, basically. Um, Parasite, I mean, I, Parasite Eve is certainly not one of my favorite games on the PlayStation 1 either, but it's more emblematic of the of the system than, like, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six is. Yeah. Um, and then the only other a lot game... Of, the U.S. Uh, list seems to lean mildly heavily on what Ubisoft was willing to give them. Pretty much. <laughs> it really does. And then the only other game on the Japanese version that isn't in the U.S. version is Saga Frontier. Yeah. I remember that was that was one of the big disappointments. Because like, I bought that kind of thinking it was going to be more of a Final Fantasy thing. And it was more of an Octopath Traveler thing, except way less user-friendly. Yeah. Um, it was a, that was one of those games where you could screw your entire playthrough if you didn't do the right thing in the right order. Uh, I never got very far in it, although it was gorgeous. Yeah. I have never played it at all. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason to change that. So which uh, version is better, Matt? Um, 
Mm. I mean, I think part of the strategy here for Sony was to get some people to buy both. Maybe. I don't I mean, I, there's nothing... No, I think the Japanese list is marginally better. Uh, because Just because... I mean, I, obviously, I like the, the Ark the Lad games. It doesn't do me any good for the Japanese one because I can't read it. Right. But, uh, you know, all things being equal, I would say the Japan list is better. Um, I don't think either of them is particularly great. Uh, yeah, there's no Tomb Raider... There's no Tomb Raider, there's no Silent Hill. There's no Spyro, no, uh, no Crash. We can't do that with no analog stick. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like missing. Like the first Spyro, or wait, the first Crash played with an analog stick? Mm-hmm. I think it was a D-pad. I think it was D-pad the first, the first time. Yeah. Basically, it seems to me like Activision just didn't play ball on this. Yeah, it's what it seems um, like. Well, because they're re-releasing all this stuff. Right. They're like, why would we want to put it on this micro console when we're doing remasters? Uh, there's no Parappa. Yeah. Uh, there's no Wipeout XL, which I that's a huge omission. Which I didn't expect because that's a lot of music licensing. Um, you could have done the first game, first Wipeout, which is not as good, but it, I think it used um, in-house music, so it wouldn't. I mean, as music made by the company, not in like house music that's in the. Um, t- whereas XL is kind of is the best game of that era in the series, and also has like kind of a who's who of electronic music at the time as its soundtrack. Honestly, like, I think a lot of these artists would do whatever they could to make it happen. But I don't think Sony has any interest in paying anything to license. I think anything. they would maybe license it for free, man. No, they couldn't. It's impossible. It's, it's, a dollar? No, they couldn't. Like the artists don't make that choice. Like the the recording company, whoever the music, owns the recording, whoever owns yeah. the recording says that the music company doesn't care about any of that shit. They're just going to want music money from Sony, right? You know, I mean, Sony probably does own the rights to some, but I bet Sony's probably set up so that you, if, if like Sony Entertainment wants to do something with something Sony Music owns, they have to pay Sony Music something. No, you're you probably know? right. Um, so I never <laughs> expected Wipeout XL to be on this because of the music issue, but like it absolutely should be on it because it's one of the defining games of the system. Um, I don't like the game, but Chrono Cross should be on there. Final yeah. Fantasy Tactics should be on there. Um, I, I could I could probably give you three full lists better than these. Than what was just off it. of what's in my closet. Yeah, it's not. It's like you said though. It's not just as simple as saying no. We want these twenty games. These are the twenty best games, and we want them on there. That's not right. You're kind of like doing like it's all. I mean, one wonders if there will be a PlayStation Classic analog edition later right. where they put all you put colony wars and all that stuff in there you know like the, the analog stuff later mm-hmm. um who knows uh there has yet to be an analog stick on a micro console yeah ace combat yeah there's no ace combat games in there was there did it was ace combat on the original playstation there were three of them i didn't even know that ace combat ace combat 2 and ace combat 3 electrosphere 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 is interesting because uh the japanese version has a huge like the 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 way you select everything is actually on a giant like digital sphere or you like pick all the different all the missions and the japanese version had all these branching storyline things like where like you this went to this mission and this mission or do this and this mission and you get this mission um and they cut all that out of the american version they cut like a third of the missions out of the game and just had it be a linear game um, so one of the holy grails of Ace Combat fans is a remake of Ace Combat 3 Electrosphere in, 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 for the Western audience that includes all the content we didn't get in the original release. Will never happen. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Unless Ace Combat 7 suddenly sets the world on fire and all of a sudden we just need more Ace Combat now, now, now. Yep. So we've decided that we could come up with a better collection of games for these consoles. But the big question is, should people pay for it, buy it? Will you buy it? Mm, 
Probably not. Like, I don't think, I don't, it's a hundred bucks. That's a lot of mediocrity for a hundred bucks. Like, what would I play? Like, I would probably poke around at Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil and Persona. And I'd probably play a few rounds of Ridge Racer and Street Fighter, Super Puzzle Fighter. Yeah. And then it would go on the shelf. I mean, to be honest with you, I have not really played my NES Classic or SNES Classic all that much. Mm-hmm. Like, I got them, played them for a few hours the first day I got them, and then put them back in a box yeah. and just stored them. I played, a few, I played through a few uh, st- things on Super Nintendo. Well, you brought Nintendo. the one in for the Patreon marathon that we did, yeah. and we played that for a while. And then I went home, and I ended up playing it a little bit more, and then never really touched it again. Yeah, I played through a, like a full game of uh, Star Fox 2, and you know, like, that was interesting. But like, the other thing about... Um, uh, the other thing about the PlayStation One is I, I think the PlayStation games are ugly. I oh, think yeah. they were ugly then. I don't think they look any better now. Um, and in general, like outside of like you know Puzzle, puzzle Fighter yeah. or like Rayman, like I just like oh I don't want to look at that really. The other thing is of course I have a PlayStation Three that's completely backwards compatible with any of the PlayStation yep. One games I still own that I want to go back and play, and I don't really see the point of this. Whereas like one of the one of the appeals of the NES Classic and the Super NES Classic is that um, you can't just plug those old systems into a modern television. Yeah. Have the um, HDMI out. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, the backward, I mean, obviously you have a virtual console, but the backwards compatibility on PlayStation 3 is just, like, take the disc, put it in, it works. And it plays, you know? yeah. So there's no issue with that. So I'm paying, I pay 100 bucks for this for the privilege of what? Are you going to buy it? No. No? I have a pre order. Are you going to keep it? Probably not. Like, I just don't know what I'd play. Do you see this becoming like the NES and SNES Classic where on eBay they're selling for three times no, their value? I, and I would be surprised by that. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I was, I'm a little older than probably the target audience would be that would want to play that. Like, you know, I, I think you didn't experience this stuff when it came around. Well, no, I think you did. I think your, your target audience was about 12 when this came out. Uh, I was like 19 or 20. Um, and I liked it, but it was, uh, it wasn't special in the way that, like, say, the Super Nintendo was, where, like, Super Nintendo, I was, you know, 14, 15 at right. the time. yeah. Um. Young and impressionable. Yeah. Back, but, you know, the, the, I think something, whatever you play when you're around that, you know, those teenage years, whether it's part of, because, like, those are the best years ever, and, like, you enjoyed all the things that you did when you were that age, or because they were the worst years ever, and you used that, those games to escape, escape from it. right, yeah. Um, either way, I think you're going to have an attachment to the games that were that era. For sure. And particularly yeah. the games or whatever system or whatever you played at the time, that nothing else really matches in that regard. And I think Super Nintendo taps into that for me, uh, although Genesis taps into it more. Um... But was you know the 16-bit era was was that sweet spot for me. I think uh, if you're aiming at people a little younger than me, uh, you're you're after that sweet spot for PlayStation. And I can't really predict what they're gonna do. Um, whereas you know I, I didn't certainly didn't expect the Crash Bandicoot collection to sell the way yeah, it did. Yeah, me either. Yeah, we were both but caught off guard by Crash that. Bandicoot ain't in this. So That's like, true. But know, I think it does show though that there is a thirst. For the games from that era. Oh yeah, there is apparently a very, not for me, but a very deep thirst for the aggressively mediocre games that like <laughs> define that define this list. Frankly, like if it was like full of like the, the the best of the best, even if it didn't include the analog era stuff, 
like I would be more optimistic. But it's like I mean I don't know. Like maybe there's so maybe there are enough Ryan Davises out there that can't wait to play Mr. Driller again. Right. Like, uh, for me, the the PlayStation One was the best selling worst console of my hmm. lifetime. As far as w- how well it sold versus the quality of the software that was on it, mm-hmm. um, like the 3D stuff to me on the PlayStation One is all most all disposable. 2D stuff is fine because 2D is evergreen; it never gets old. Uh, but most of the 3D stuff on the PlayStation One, I can't even bring myself to even want to play it anymore. So. But remember, I, I last time we talked about this, I said like that's the next like hotness for for like indie games and then right, like making the, them look like making crappy them look like you know, with the shimmery is. textures right. and the and the, the weird seams and everything. Yeah. And then like and like everyone's got hands that are just like bricks Mittens, with like yeah. like clumsily drawn fingers on them. Right. And then like a day later, like they put out some indie horror game, put out a trailer, and it looks exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that. It, it was, yeah. Like there's you know there's I have a feeling that game will not sell very well. <laughs> but we'll see. You, you never, never know. know. But, uh, yeah, they're coming out. Well, I think the date was on the trailer. What was it? December 3rd? Sure. Coming late in the holiday season. Real late. Yeah, it's not going to be there like for not, Black Friday. Yeah, not going to be there for the impulse buy. Crowd. It might actually give you a chance to get one if you want one, in all honesty. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem, doesn't seem like it's like super crazy to think it'll be around. I mean, I don't know. I haven't actually looked at it yet. I mean, I know the pre-orders seem to go away after a while. I don't know if that's I still changed. haven't seen them, but I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. I'm not, like, following Wario64 on Twitter all <laughs> night, like, waiting for some link to go up for me to go there and input all my information and then hit submit and for it to say, sorry, I, I'm done with that. I'm not doing that mm-hmm. ever again, like... Not worth not, one, to me. Nothing is worth it. It's one thing to do that for Super Mario World. It's a very different thing to do that for Siphon Filter. Absolutely, that's a good point. So, leave your uh, your impressions in the comments on this. It'll be interesting to see because a lot of people on Sifted are a little older. They're pretty much all from our generation, yeah. where we were pretty much adults by the time it came out. So we're not. I mean, we still get impacted by nostalgia. Yeah, but I would be excited for a, a you know a classic PlayStation that had a little more representative uh, lineup than this. I yeah. mean, it's just but this just feels like you got the big two, um, and then you kind of filled in the slots with what else you could get. You could get, yeah. And it doesn't feel like a very carefully curated list and no. i don't think you can say that about the nes classic and the super nes classic eh, there's a couple duds on both there's of those a, a, but, a few but i would argue that half of the the games on these are borderline yeah but i feel like you, you know you you could definitely say whether you're missing one or two things here and there on this on the nintendo ones for the most part i'd say those two those two systems showcase the best of the best on those consoles yeah um certainly from a more mainstream perspective whereas this does not do that You've got Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid and a bunch of also-rans. This thing will probably get all hacked up, too. They'll Evil. have, like, homebrew running on it. You'll be able to get all the games from the Japanese version. And... I saw a thing where people don't think that's going to be necessarily plausible. Really? Based on how big ROMs are for mm. these things. Because CDs are not cartridges. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. So, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. So, there you go. December 3rd, basically 100 bucks. Launching worldwide, same day, mm-hmm. so you don't have to wait. It's not coming out in Japan first. Like you could, then... like I believe, even gone for like you know multiple versions where it's like, here's the, 
the 3D action one. And here's the racing simulator just one. Just color them differently the, yeah. or something. Here's the, the you could turn that could be huge actually. Yeah. Because you you know you'll get people that want to collect them all. Mm-hmm. Just do different colors of each. That's one. That's what I mean. Like yeah. the first one's gray, the next one's blue, red, whatever. Red, and white. people would buy them. People love all. the white playstations. Oh, yeah. That's right. They never did a ton of colors of PlayStation in the U.S. Yeah. Well, the white, the white one I remember was like the dev, like a special one or something. Right. I remember the, the dev kits were white or something like that. Yeah. I remember white or black. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, they didn't do a lot of colors. N64, on the other hand, holy. Oh holy. God. <laughs> like, Taste the rainbow. There's probably what like ten different colors of the N64. Oh, way more than that. Really? There, I think there there were like seven different of just the see-through like jelly, jelly one? bean colored ones. Yeah. I thought there were three of those. There were tons of those. It was more than that. It was definitely more than that. It was a whole rainbow of them. There was like an ad that had them like all like spread out, and then you had you had the the regular gray one, and you had like the Pikachu eye searing yellow one, and you had uh, the green one. Like the solid green one, you had like a red one, a regular solid red one. Um, yeah, they they went on and on. Like they definitely did a tons. lot more than PlayStation, that's for sure. So, all right, let's move on. We're gonna talk next about. Well, actually, what's gonna happen next is I'm gonna eat a little bit of crow. So you guys probably remember if you've been watching Game Face for a while that I basically at one point called for Phil Spencer's head. I was like, Phil Spencer needs to. Uh, be relieved of his duties, or he needs to step down. I was not a fan of the direction the Xbox brand was going in. Um, and it got to the point where there were just no exclusive games coming out for Xbox. And I think you could argue even now that that's the case. But uh, things have started changing for Xbox. In fact, the last quarter, uh, revenue is up like 44%. Mm-hmm. Uh, Xbox is starting to turn things around. If not in the short term, I don't expect to come out of this holiday season and have Xbox be the best-selling piece of hardware. No, for, but it's in definitely... In fact, I, I fully expect for it to come in last over the holiday season. But it's definitely season. healthier than it used to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, a 44% increase yeah. in revenue says it all. I mean, that... Also, proof that um, power matters. Yep. Like the, the X has, has done its job to some degree. To some degree. I think at the very least, of, if, if not with revenue, and well, it seems like revenue is doing okay, but that might be software. Yeah. You got, you got people out there, like, you know, look on Twitter, you got people buying Xbox X's to play Red Dead this week. Yep. At the very least, it changes perspective on mm-hmm. Xbox, which for the last two or three years has not been great. Actually, ever since they unveiled Xbox One at E3. It has just been a struggle. Um, but I was of the mind that Phil, it was Phil Spencer's fault, and I would still say it probably a lot of it was his fault, and that he should probably be let go and they should bring somebody else in there to handle that. Well, Microsoft didn't. They kept Phil in place, and since then, Phil has done a great job of turning things around. And, I, and again, I don't think it's one of those things where the proof is in the pudding, we're getting all these great games now, I'm so glad I have an Xbox right now. But it's more seeing what's coming and mm-hmm. how the changes have been made so that Microsoft is setting itself up for the net for for success in the in generation nine essentially. And to me, like you know, I thought the Xbox One X was crazy. I'm like, why are you putting out this hyper powerful console at the end of your cycle? Essentially, I see it now. I see why because I feel like Microsoft wanted to reestablish supremacy before mm-hmm. people needed to make that big decision in the next generation. So people like you bought the X. 
the hardest of the hardcore about the X, the evangelists of our industry, the people who convince their friends that you need to buy this instead of this. So once perceptions among that group started to change, then it all trickles down and filters out to all the sort of the halos around those people. And I think that's exactly what you've been seeing happening. I think, you know, you're right. I think a lot of people now are starting to say, well, Xbox One X, if I want to make things look as good as possible, that's the platform that I buy it on. And I have a feeling that that consumer confidence is something that is going to translate outwards into Generation 9. Mm -hmm. I think people will have the perception that the Xbox is at least of equal power to whatever Sony puts out. I don't think they will ever put some put another system out that isn't markedly more powerful than this than the PlayStation it's competing with. Yeah. I mean there's going to be like lag time obviously cuz the Sony the PlayStation 5 is going to be more powerful than the Xbox One X. Like but the next time they put something like Sony I don't think Microsoft is ever going to bunt on the hardware again. Like that was their biggest problem was they put that slow RAM in there so they got more RAM so they could run their bloated OS on it to be the set-top box. No one was thinking about games, you know, at any yeah. point. Um, and then they brought out the X, which is, you know, I didn't even buy it for games. I bought it so I could watch 4K discs. Right. And, like, it's just, be it's become... It's like the PlayStation 2 all over. Yeah, it's become my default <laughs> system for anything that doesn't, you know, if that doesn't, if Digital Foundry doesn't say outright it runs better on PlayStation Pro, or if it's a PlayStation exclusive, obviously. Right. But everything else, I'm basically going Xbox. You've completely days. flipped. Pretty much, again. In the span of 10 months. Yeah. Well, I completely flipped to PlayStation 4 right. uh, when we moved to the so new generation. I. I mean, because, I'm still there, honestly. Because there's no brand loyalty to me. Like, I will me always go to whatever pr provides the best experience. Me too. And right now, that's the X. I don't I'm care what name is slapped on the piece of plastic with transistors inside it. I really yeah, like if don't. Tommy Tallarico puts out an Intellivision that runs Red Dead Redemption at 8K, I'll play I'll that. I'll buy Tommy <laughs> Tallarico. Yeah. And he can call it like Tommy Tallarico's console yeah. and I would buy it. <laughs> it could be the Tallarico Vision. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it really is the way to be. Like, it's been funny this week watching like the Red Dead Redemption stuff on Metacritic and watching all the Nintendo fans flip out that it may unseat Ocarina of Time as the, <laughs> and watching them carpet bomb the user reviews mm -hmm. on Metacritic. Man, if you just break free of all that, everything changes, everything is so much better. Like, living that way is it's just no way to be, and I well, get why. to be why fair, what a, they don't have anything to play right now. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. They're just waiting for they Pokemon. They have plenty of time to carpet bomb reviews on Metacritic now that there's nothing to play on, on the Switch that's or the whatever. the best way to wait until Pokemon is out. Is yeah. <laughs> to make every another game look bad. Uh, I, don't, I don't really get that whole way of thinking, but... But it has been a pretty miraculous turnaround for Microsoft in relatively short order. Do you think that it's all because of the X? Or do you think do you think even the average person even knows about all the studios that Microsoft just bought? I don't think they know that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, but I do think they've revamped the, the OS uh, tremendously. It's not as sluggish as it used to be. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense where my cursor goes when I hit left and right no. every time. Nope. Um, it's still a messy interface. I don't like it very much. Um, but I also don't like the crossbar thing that PlayStation's been doing for two generations. So I just, apparently I just don't like interfaces at yeah. this point. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very happy with the Xbox 360 Blades interface. Yeah, the Blades are fine. 
That's uh, great. It works I li- perfect. I, I like the switch interface just fine. It's, it yeah. puts things there, and I can scroll through them, and I can pick them, and I can see them. Like, yeah, or you download something, and it's there. Yeah. Like, when you boot up your console, whatever you just downloaded is right there on the home screen. I don't have to go through, like, four different backs, back out to this and hit this I and don't go have to, to this to, like, see crap, the... dude. Why do I have to select stuff to appear on my home screen? I don't, I don't have anything pinned. I just, I just look at the front, and I go to my little game section and pick stuff. I don't use any of those features at all. Yeah, I, they're, they're overthinking it too much. But how much do you think, so since you agree with me that you don't think that the purchase of these studios has kind of resonated outside Otaku, do you think it was all the, the X? And do you think a lot of people even really, one, realize that the X is out there, and two, that it's several magnitudes more powerful mm. than... I think they know it's out there, but I think one of the reasons that I think the, it's kind of the opposite is like the X drove down and it's continuing to drive down the price of the S... And I can't remember exactly what the deal... There was some deal for the Xbox One S this past week where, like, basically you bought, like, this game and this game or something and you got it for, like, 150 bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was, it was crazy. And, like, they're just... You know, the, the X gives them the leeway to push the S in a way that just gets it into ha- people's hands. And they and still push the happened. Ultra HD angle with the S. Yeah, it still has Everyone a lot of that. Everyone's getting their 4K TVs now. Yeah. It's, like, 4K TV compatible. And uh, so that's good. I mean, I think they just made a more they made the whole brand a more attractive proposition. And uh, you know, they're slowly you know, Forza made it made a splash. Uh, Absolutely. I think you're slowly you know, I've I've had some of my more casual friends who haven't owned an Xbox ever, like coming to me, and be like, "What's well, this Forza Horizon Four thing? Looks pretty cool." I'm like, "Yes, yeah, yes, it's yes, really it is. cool. Yeah, it absolutely is." Um, and so I, I think they've, you know, they've finally had a couple things on the system that are desirable, which has not been true for a long time. Sea of Thieves, even though it didn't really hit with us, it seems yeah. to have struck the mark with a lot of people. I gotta say, I've got, you know, so I've got a bunch of friends from up north. I used to hang out with and play games. You know, we were, the, we were this was the group that I played like. We played F Zero on the N sixty four until the sun came up. The right, day it came out. I mean, it was like just. We, I mean, we, you would probably call us hardcore, but their tastes weren't like. I mean, they didn't. They didn't spend a lot of time alone playing games like single player stuff. They like the, it's a social activity right. for them. Yeah. Three of those guys, who still all live who live up north, or like, yeah, three of them play Sea of Thieves every night. Yeah. Every there single day I turn that system on. There's some people on my friends list that play it every day, too. Every single day I turn that system on, and those three guys are playing this game. And at the very least, I think people see it, and even if they're not interested in it, they're like, hey, that's kind of different and peculiar, yeah. and it catches their eye but, at the very least. But also, they're just having fun playing together, yeah. playing a game together. Yeah. Like this, it doesn't even necessarily matter it's that game. They've just, they, you know, they're all on a boat dancing and playing musical instruments, and they... they chat and hang out with each other like that's all like i was interested to play it but i was like oh you're this isn't actually any more fun you're just having fun like hanging out together like a chat room just talking yeah. This is, yeah the game's it's an just, elaborate chat the game's room. something to do while you're on the phone with each other yeah basically. i mean that's that's pretty accurate really i think i don't think there has been a magic bullet for microsoft i don't think there no. has been one thing i think it's been a total accumulation effect between and, and it's also it's not like PlayStation's flagging or anything. No, like, huh? Spider-Man yeah. blew up. Like you know, they've got crazy hardware sales. It's like it's just it, everything seems to be going pretty well for everyone, frankly. Yeah, because I mean, you start thinking about what has Microsoft done in the last two years. Well, there is Xbox Play Anywhere, which was yeah. kind of the first Ga- Game Pass is no getting no all sh- the PC people on their side as far yeah. as getting into their services. 
Game Pass is a crazy deal. Game Pass was kind of the second project. And then I think maybe what turned the tide more than anything, but again, it's an accumulation effect, was the backwards compatibility stuff. Yeah. Because they push it hard. They put out trailers every week showing what's new in backwards compatibility. They put out press releases for it every week. They really pump the tires on it like big time. There's a ton of people that had Xbox 360 that have this stack of games that they went, they took someplace mm-hmm. and said, we'll give you 50 cents for each one of them. And they're like, no, screw you. It's worth more than that. And now they can actually play those games and they look better. Um, so you start to add all, and then they buy the studios and then they put out Xbox One X. It just seems like the the turn, it, Microsoft has managed to turn the Titanic, mm-hmm. which is something that does not happen in business like ever, ever. Um, I would say the console industry is an industry that's more apt to be forgiving. Mm-hmm. If you think about the PlayStation 3, like with PlayStation 3, people rejected it out of the gate. But even at the end of its run, a lot of its fans had come back and said, you know what, now that you've had a couple price drops and I still like you, PlayStation. So yeah. to me, console gaming is one of those industries where you, your fortunes can really shift from one five to seven year period to the next. But still, I mean, Microsoft was, and it still is in third place, but it was, it was in third place and fallen hard. And it has managed to pick itself up by, by the bootstraps and get itself to a place where it's not only a viable business, it's a viable business for the future. Because if you look now at companies that just do hardware, they're all doing terrible. It's the companies who used to make hardware that have transitioned into a service operation that are thriving and primed for the future and microsoft has already done that it already has xbox game pass it all already has play anywhere um, it already has a great program for its backwards compatibility in a lot of ways if it's kind of usurped what sony tried has tried to do the last couple of generations with playstation 3 fat being backwards compatible with all playstations before it with obviously it ditched that for the uh, future iterations of the of the console um, and, you know, Sony has PlayStation Now, it has PlayStation View, so it's also transitioned into this service-based company. And I think that's where it's going. And I think it's, why it's smart also for Nintendo to launch Nintendo Online. Even though I feel like I basically just flushed $20 down the toilet, <laughs> it was only $20, and I'm assuming the service is going to become something bigger and better, and as Cliffy, Cliff would say, more badass as time runs on, goes on. So I subscribe to that just so I could, like, preserve my zelda save yeah i mean i think most people have found a reason to plunk down the 20 bucks and obviously the fact that it's only 20 dollars helps a ton yeah so um but you know i just i i feel like you know you come on you do a show like this every week you sit and you talk for three hours and you kind of share your opinions on things you're not always right and this is one case where i was absolutely wrong and uh, i'm man enough to come back on the show and admit when i was wrong i mean phil spencer has turned this company around, and I was calling for his head. So um, much respect to Microsoft for sticking with it. I was also afraid that the mothership may be like, hey, it's time to cut our losses Mm -hmm. and get out of this. It didn't. Uh, It it stayed the course with the Xbox brand. It stayed the course with Phil Spencer, and suddenly things are turning around. For me, to a point where I believe Microsoft has a very legitimate shot to take back first place 
in Generation 9. Yeah, so Sony definitely better not underestimate them coming out of the gate for the next generation. Which is what Sony has done in the past. Sony has yeah. been more guilty of resting on its laurels than any other platform holder, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, take, and assuming, and taking <laughs> advantage of its customers and its fans. I don't have a counter to that. That's, that's the, every and, single time, as they say, as Twitter says, arrogant Sony's coming back. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, it would be great to see both of these companies yeah, hit their stride like, at the same I, time. I have a little bit of hope in the sense that they they back down on the crossplay thing. That helps. Like it yeah. seems like maybe someone's listening to reality in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, just I mean, because you got to get you know just. Go back to the the run up to the PlayStation Three when it was just like the HD era begins when we say it does, and like yeah, all that right. crazy, you know, cyber world Get a second and the cell job. processor, and we have made the most beautiful thing in the world. Please do not criticize it. Right. I mean, it it was. I mean, part of that was Kudaragi believing his own hype, but yeah, I hope Sony keeps. I mean, I hope they will keep it in perspective. Um, with, I mean, with, Mark, with Mark Cerny, with their, with you know, with Sony's yeah, ear, yeah. I feel like that's not going to happen. Like yeah. Cerny's got a very clear view of things. We've never seen even if both, he does keep making knack. Yeah, we've we've <laughs> never seen both Microsoft and Sony at the same time going full bore. Yeah, height of their game, like no we've mistakes. We've never like, seen yeah, that battle. Never been a, we've seen Sony drop the ball, and then we saw Microsoft drop the ball. So what happens in Generation 9 when both of them... Yeah, what happens when Godzilla fights King Kong? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, I would love to see that. So, And I think we're going to see that. Mm-hmm. And then you got Nintendo over in the guess, corner over I there guess saying, Sony's hey... Sony's Godzilla and Microsoft's oh, yeah. King Kong. Yeah, Godzilla's Japan. from Japan. United States. Yep, absolutely. I thought that's what you were saying right away. Yeah, well, I didn't think of it I was like, that was then. a great I would, analogy. I was just thinking Titan versus Titan. <laughs> right, And then I right. think, oh, that actually really works. Yeah, absolutely it does. But in that scenario, I have to root for Godzilla because I don't like King Kong. So. <laughs> All right, so there you go. I, I like to try to admit when I'm wrong, and I was absolutely wrong in this case, and, I, and I'm here yeah, on I, Game Face. I admit I did feel like you were being a little hard on Phil at the time. Uh, I thought he was, you know, it showed signs of turning turning some stuff around. I think uh, the investment in those four new developers is going to pay off big time when, it, when the transition to the next generation comes around, because I'm pretty sure that's what they're working on, is, some, is stuff for the next system. Yeah, for sure. And... Uh, if we can just if we can just get over this crackdown three hump, <laughs> blue skies yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Thronebreaker: The Witcher Tales. You may wonder what the hell that is. Well, it's actually Gwent. Uh, if you played The Witcher three, you should be familiar with Gwent. It was a card battle game that was embedded inside mm-hmm. The Witcher. Um, CD Projekt Red decided to crack it out and make it its own game. Its own game, like three years ago, yeah, by reinventing it completely. Actually. Yeah, it's not the game. I mean, the game and the first off, the game. Let, in Witcher let me 3 admit was something like, before we go forward. Mm-hmm. I never learned how to play Gwent. Well, it wouldn't help you now because the game, the standalone <laughs> game, is utterly different from the. I tried it in The Witcher Three so many times, I could never figure out what they wanted me to do. I ended up winning rounds. Completely on accident. Yeah, you just get more points. Yeah. So, I like Gwent. I, I, because I, I played, I've played that game three times, and I 100% of the Gwent stuff every single time. I love, I loved it. Um, I haven't gotten super into the standalone game, uh, because it's early access. It's not early. It went live 1.0. It's finally released now, with yeah. with the release of this. Right. Uh, they're two separate games, but they upgraded the Gwent standalone multiplayer to 1.0 when they released Thronebreaker. 
So I feel more... I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of, like, games with microtransactions before they're officially released. It's just yeah. like a thing where I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to wait until I'm sure you're a real thing until I throw throwing money at the, but the imaginary cards. But Hearthstone was like that, wasn't it? Yeah, but, like, at a certain point, it was, it was, Hearthstone was like sort of like the PUBG thing where it's just like, yeah, it's really access, but no one thinks about it anymore. Yeah. You know? Is Hearthstone even out of beta? You have it speak. may still yeah. be in early I access. I don't even um, know. So, and this, Thronebreaker is the, the campaign for the Gwent standalone game, which originally was going to be a free, like, update for the Gwent game, but at a certain point, they seem to have gone so far off into the weeds, well, they and spent made this, like, a lot of time and money They on. accidentally made it, like, a giant RPG, yeah. like, with, like, an actual really crazy story and, like, a whole thing going on, like, a, a campaign and a giant world map and the whole, I mean, this, you know, it's a, th- it's a 30 bucks, it's twenty nine ninety nine. That's um, a lot. It is a lot. Uh, Gwent is still free to play. The the multiplayer yeah. game is still well, free to play. Well, they assume you're going to buy decks. Yeah, you want to buy the, the, the packs and stuff. And it is tempting to buy the packs because they, they got the, the troll. They got a troll there. And if you've played the Witcher games, the trolls are sort of... They're monsters, but they, they're sentient. They can talk, and they're sort of like big, dumb, like adorable, funny things. And like... So the, the there's a troll and the troll is is uh, in the, in the Gwent game the troll you get barrels you get big barrels kegs of cards and you get we buy the keg and you go to open the keg and the troll picks the keg up and smashes it and all the cards fly out and the <laughs> and the troll the great thing about the troll the troll is like he smashes it and like then you go through your cards and as you pick the cards he reacts to the cards so if you pick, get like a really rare card he'll be like he'll go oh wow <laughs> and it's like it's uh if it, it, i don't know why the i love the trolls in, in the witcher games and they're no some, llama pinatas matt no apparently not <laughs> um but they have personality and uh so there is actually stuff you can unlock in this in the Thronebreaker game that you can then use in the multiplayer game. So that's probably one of the big incentives. Is Absolutely. That, is that play... You but pay, wait, you buy this separately? Buy it separately, but it interacts with the multiplayer free-to-play Interesting. game. Because it is the same thing. It's right. The same this same is roles actually, and This cards is actually and... a pretty good way to learn a lot of the weird mechanics. So the way this game works is it focuses... Wait, wait, before we move on, since so, we talk about the story yeah, first, does so this star the on, main characters from The Witcher 3? No. no. The, 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 fo- it, the, the game focuses on, uh, you play as a character named Queen uh, Meave. Uh, she is a queen of two uh, Northern Realms, Eric Kingdoms, Lyria, and another one I don't remember. Uh, she was a minor character in the first Witcher game. Uh, she was part of the meeting of kings at the end of Witcher 2, where they all got together to decide what to do about Nilfgaard, who was planning to invade. Uh, if you played Witcher 3, you know that Nilfgaard did, in fact, invade the following year, and nobody did anything about it, really. Yeah. Um, so this begins in the year before the Witcher 3, I believe. So Nilfgaard has not invaded the Northern Realms yet, um, and she is, she is leaving the meeting from the end of the Witcher 2, when all this starts to happen. Um, so the way it works is, uh, and she was, uh, I don't remember if she was in the books or not, but she was definitely in the first game briefly. And it was a way you could actually turn her into like a mutant monster thing, like zombie version of her with like a lot more skin showing for no apparent reason uh, at the end. But this, <laughs> well, you know the reason. <laughs> this, seems to, this seems to imply that she did not become a mutant uh, at the end of the first game uh, in the official timeline, I guess. Um so you can see here that like um, you get a big open map, a big a big map to run around. It's got a pretty cool art style. It looks like you know kind of a storybook thing. It's couched as um, the the very open like the the framing device is that like there's a there's a 
two guys in a tavern bringing a prisoner to a, a queen. You don't know if it's her. I, mean, I don't think it's, it's supposed to be her. But bringing him to a queen, and they go to, to un, unmanacle him because he's been behaving pro- well. It looks like it might be Geralt. Um, from like the you see him, he's like in a hood and kind of right. from the back, but it looks like it might be Geralt's chin. Uh huh. Um, and then they're like storyteller, tell us about. It. So the storyteller starts telling this story. So it's all told and narrated as though like 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 they have individual voice actors for like Queen Meave and, and all these uh, other characters, but um, so the voice actor for the queen will say her line, and then the narrator will be like, "Said the queen." Oh, really? So it's all done like a like an an acted audio book uh-huh. almost. And they've got animations and like you know it's actually the production value is pretty far above what what you might expect from some. I mean, it has to be because they're charging money now. Um, and you wander around this big world map, kind of an action RPG style thing, and you can find uh, resources. Like you walk up to things and a little icon appear, and you get you get wood and gold and men like soldiers, and like you can use those to upgrade your camp, which lets you upgrade other things, gives you other advantages. Uh, or you can use them, you'll run across little question mark places and they'll be like, oh, there's a cave here. You can send two guys into the cave and get like, you know, a, a treasure map that'll show you another thing, but you'll you'll lose two soldiers doing it. So like, yeah, so basically you have to spend stuff to get bonus stuff. And then there's like side quests that can pay off in like scraps of either treasure maps or scraps of cards that you can then construct because like you'll find a recipe for a new card and you have to use resources to build it and add it to your deck. And uh, so the way the card battle stuff works is, so far, I'm not, I'm only like two hours, three hours into it, because I really didn't have a lot of time to dig into anything this week other than Red Dead. But um, the way it seems to work at this point is uh, the big story battles are kind of a full game of, a three round game of Gwent using your your cards and stuff. But then there's other battles where like uh, something will happen and a battle will only be, so like there's puzzle battles basically. So like... Uh, a puzzle battle, either you've got a set number of cards or you can use your own deck, uh, depending on which one it is. But basically, it's not a straight-up game of Gwent. It's like you're playing against bandits and you're trying to stop uh, their gold carts from getting away. So you have to build your deck so that you can do a lot of damage quickly because a gold cart card will show up and you have to like destroy it. I like that, it. though. I like when they use a core concept, like mm-hmm. a card battle game, and then they make you work that formula in different ways to get to achieve different results other than just winning no matter what. Right, and, what that's, and also what's that, what that is doing is it's teaching you uh, ways to think kind of laterally about how cards you know, form combos together and what you can do with all the... Because unlike the game, uh, the Gwent game in Witcher 3... Where like you know certain cards had abilities or things that would trigger when you played them, but it was, they were more like the special cards. Almost every card in this game has a special effect of some kind or or a thing it can do. Like there's almost there's almost nothing you you play in this game that doesn't have some kind of potential to combo with two or three other things, depending on how you literally play your cards. Right. And so these puzzle puzzle uh, battles and these uh, kind of smaller battles are sort of teaching you how to use your cards in ways you might not normally use them in a straight-up game, but then you can apply that knowledge to a straight-up game right. and be a much more effective player. So it is a very useful tool to kind of learning you know, new ways to play with these. You know, it, it seems to be a new deck. It's not one of the pre-existing decks, because I haven't played a ton of the Gwent uh, beta, but like it pretty much used the four standard decks 
with every I mean everything's been redrawn everything's been you know re, re animated animated yeah. everything's been redesigned so like you know your Northern Realms deck in the new Gwent game does not play remotely like it does in Witcher 3. Like, it's a completely different thing. Because the, the game in Witcher 3 was broken beyond all recognition. It was not meant for two people to play with each other. Right. Because it wasn't, it wasn't balanced properly. So this is balanced better, but it's a far more complex game. Um, and then and the what main, you're saying is if I couldn't handle it in the Witcher, if you couldn't three, handle it, yeah, you're 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 gonna be. Lo- but then this this game, eas- you know, Thronebreaker eases you into it in a more, uh, you know, a, a, a more it's a, it's a steadier pace. I would say, as opposed to the tutorial in the Gwent standalone game, it's just like here's this, this works like this, this works like that. Okay, go play other humans. It's like no, you're gonna die. Like, it's yeah. like, um, this one sort of like is a nice slow build to like how this all works, and it kind of teaches you. The ins and outs of your individual cards, and then like you know, you slowly learn like certain puzzle things, like have a set like hand you start with. So you're like, okay, well I can clearly solve this with the cards the game gives me at the start of this thing. And then sometimes you'll have a puzzle thing where it's just cards you draw from your deck, and if slowly you begin to realize, you start to be able to identify like, okay, I do not have the deck to do this right now because there's no levels, there's no like. You don't go up to a certain area and it's it's like oh this this encounter is too high level for you. Right. It's like it'll, they'll let you just walk up and screw screw yourself, you know. And then you just it's back like out. Dark Souls. Yeah, you just back <laughs> out to the last checkpoint. You don't lose anything. There's yeah. not a bad thing happened, but it's, it's like you you will start to recognize like oh, I'm in over my head. I need to redesign what I'm doing, or I need to unlock new cards, or like whatever. Um, <coughs> and in the end, and then you know the story is recognizably. You know, in the same vein as the, as the the other stuff CD Projekt Red has done for the Witcher stuff, it's very politically motivated. It's very based on uh, choosing choosing the not necessarily good or bad, but choosing the evil thing that you can live with the best. Um, I think it even says that. It sounds like times. the game we're about to talk about next. Yeah, it's, it's, it, <laughs> it sounds like it, it even says it a couple times. It's like you chose what you saw as the lesser of two evils. It's yeah. like yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. Everything's just a terrible choice you have to make, and you have to decide which which bad thing. And, and like, the there's a even like a troop morale thing because you are the leader of an army. That's what the card deck you're playing with represents. And like, depending on what you do, the army can have a positive or negative opinion of what you're doing, and that affects like how the deck works and how uh, uh, a certain encounters go. Um, so it's 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 a robust thing. It, there's a lot going on there. It's very well acted. It's it's pretty well written so far, um, and uh, I'm enjoying it more than I enjoyed the multiplayer version because I don't actually find playing card games against random people on the internet to be particularly compelling. So this is definitely the best way to get me in as a gateway drug to the to the to the standalone Gwent game. So this all sounds great. But what I keep going back to is that $30 price tag. It's high. I mean, can you realistically recommend this to someone for $30? I mean, you got to know what you're getting into if you like the Gwent stuff and like the Witcher stuff. But I'm kind of okay with paying 30 bucks for, you know, a high quality game that's not like most other stuff that's out there written by the people who are some of the best writers in the entire industry. Yeah. Also, I'm guessing this probably lasts a good long time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a robust product. Let's put it that way. Like CD Projekt Red doesn't charge unreasonable amounts of money for things. Like if they think this game is worth thirty bucks, it's probably worth thirty bucks. Because probably they're just looking at how much time and energy they put into yeah. it. Time and energy they put into it versus like what they delivered. And if they say I think they if they think they've delivered a thirty dollar game. 
they are one of the few companies in the industry that I am willing to say I believe you. Now, do you see anything in this game that where maybe someone who has not enjoyed card battle games in the past that could get them over the hump? Do you think having the narrative built around it? Could... Maybe. I mean, the narrative is compelling. Uh, the action RPG sort of overworld is is a fun sort of break from a turn-based thing. And, and the other thing is, like, it's the way it, it's worked so far, it feels a little more like a turn-based RPG in the sense of, like, you just have to learn what the, you know, consider the cards your abilities and learn what they have to do. Um, you know, kind of the, the standard Gwent thing where you're, like, you know, just building up your forces for two rounds to try to get a higher score than the other guy. Like, it's not that straightforward. Like, there's a lot more thinking going on in terms of, like, you know, what you need to do in this particular match. And don't get distracted by... A couple times early on, I was, you know, not paying attention. It's like, okay, I'll just get a higher... I have a way higher score than they do. It's like, oh, no, the option... the op, You know, the obstacle here was not... Um, Level. You know, win, win the, the, the match through points. The ob object was... Uh, you have to defeat this one particular character and you didn't even try because I wasn't paying attention. Right. Um, and there's little things where like, you know, and I like the puzzle. Some of the puzzle things are, are more kind of using a quirk of, of an ability of a card to do, like there was one where I was in a graveyard and and the, uh, the uh, there was a, like a ghoul and it had like all these, these like minions that it summoned and it looked like impossible to do. They have three turns with three cards to do that with and it looked impossible but if you figured out how exactly to play the three cards in the right order with their abilities used at the right time, it caused like this cascade effect that basically caused the ghouls to defeat themselves. Oh, interesting. Um, so it was almost like playing Tetris. Huh. It, was, it was like you set it up enough and then all everything just, just shatters. Like dominoes yeah. all tumble. It's always interesting to see which game or franchise ends up breaking a genre. So if you think about like match three puzzle games, looking back across the history of those games, what game did you think would probably make it a mainstream success? Um, well, I mean, I would say Bejeweled did it. Uh, now, which on. would you think would make it a big success? Bejeweled. No, like, don't you think like Puzzle Quest would? Because it wraps a story and characters around it. Uh, well, I mean, Bejeweled already made it that years before Puzzle Quest. Bejeweled had as a story and a plot? Didn't have a story and a plot, but it made it mainstream. Oh. No, I'm saying, but looking back on the history, like, which games would you think? Because I'm trying to correlate this to Thronebreaker because it's, right. it's a card battle game that has a story structure built all around it. And, and so yeah, I, I just think Puzzle, you may, Puzzle Quest is more of a desperate reinvention of a genre that no one can figure out what else to do with. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I don't know, I mean, I've never played a card battle game that had a, a story that was this robust or... or right, I'm, so I'm trying way. to figure out if it's going to be the thing that makes card battling... Maybe Hearthstone's already done it, to be honest, but... I mean, Hearthstone is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, but it has no story to speak of, or it didn't until that last expansion, basically. Right, but, you know, the story... What my point was that the story with Puzzle Quest didn't help Puzzle Quest. No. And so maybe it doesn't help this, this Although the Puzzle Quest either. formula is sort of the go-to formula for every free-to-play match three game in the world. Now. Yeah. So, I mean, it, they invented something that mattered. It just wasn't the story that mattered. Yeah. Uh, this one, I think, it rides much harder on its characters and, and sort of the world. Um, and it's, you know, I, th I, th I do think it looks great. The art style is very appealing to me, not just on the cards, but uh, the war like the if you see the the world map, it's got kind of a really nice sort of sort of hand drawn storybook look to it that I that I dig. When you hit the world map, you hit the Y button. I'm using the controller, but you hit the button and like the world map kind of unfurls like a piece of paper, and yeah, so it's it's it's, yeah. it's a quality presentation. 
Speaking of which, if you have an old DS lying around, I highly recommend buying Puzzle Quest. Or just download any match three game on the on the internet. I think there's But Puzzle like, Quest is different because it's an RPG that you play with match three combat. Yeah, but so are all so is Marvel Puzzle Quest and well, Ghostbusters Puzzle, Puzzle Quest. Yeah, but they're But all... you can get a DS cart for probably like two dollars now. And those games oh, last Puzzle for like Quest? sixty hours. Oh, you're, no, you're paying tons of money for that. Really? Sure, because you could probably get it digitally for cheap. Um, the, the, the Puzzle Quest games are everywhere now. Like, you yeah. you'd probably get them on uh, anything. I'd probably get them on Steam, I would think. Oh, yeah? Um, Puzzle Quest I is highly recommend yet. it, though. To me, it's the best of all the Match 3 games. Yeah, I mean... If there is such a thing. And, of course, Pactor will fight me tooth and nail over that because... <laughs> He just likes Candy Crush. So to me, I guess the point I was getting at ultimately is that it seems like the most simple version of everything ends up becoming like yeah. the most popular. Although you could argue with Candy Crush, like the secret, maybe the secret is just to put a world map in. Right. That's true. Yeah. That is, well, I mean, Puzzle Quest had that. Yeah, but add some kind of coherence to right. where you're going and why you're doing some what kind you're of doing, context that's all people to need. It. No, you're right. All right, we got to move on because we're running out of time and we have the biggest topic of this week's show still to come. And it was also the, the only topic in last week's episode, and that is Red Dead Redemption 2. So obviously last week's episode was like two hours. I was shocked when we went back and put that thing into edit that I sat there and talked about that game hmm. for that long. Also, it was a nightmare <laughs> cutting that show together. Uh, if you have not watched last week's Game Face... Go watch it, because we put so much work into that episode. I'll say this much. It made me realize, again, why I spent the money on a TriCaster. Mm -hmm. Because it literally took us like 12 hours to cut that episode of Game Face. By us, you mean you, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I used to have people that would cut stuff for me. I still have someone who cuts Pactor Factor every once in a while, but they usually don't have to cut Game Face, Mm -hmm. so it's not a part of like the rotation. So, yeah, I cut... That show it took twelve hours last week. Yeah, I, I I just showed up for that. I didn't. I don't want anybody thinking. Well, you I, hadn't played it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Matt has now played it. Not just played yeah. it. Played a ton of it. So uh, as we have done with a lot of the big games through the last half of this year, we do like an initial impressions thing, and then we come back and do like our final impressions. And these are our final impressions of Red Dead Redemption Two. Uh, the first thing I would say is we recorded last week's show at embargo break. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, I think the embargo was up at like 7 in the morning and I was here at 1 p.m. recording or yeah, something like that. Yeah, the following day everything went up. Yeah, so I had not... Yeah, we actually recorded before embargo break. So take it back, start cutting it all together, and then the reviews start popping at embargo. And uh, I was surprised at the reviews. Um not the scores or anything, and I don't want to call anyone's review wrong because I've done that before, and I inst- I immediately regretted it afterwards, and I never want to do that again. Um, but I would say that I was really surprised that at Embargo Break, on day one, I was the only person that criticized the game for anything. Well, there was one thing that gave, him, gave like a 7 out of 10. And then and immediately a petition started to remove it from Metacritic. And look, I really like the game, and I think it's a great game. But there are things, in my opinion, that are blatantly wrong with it. I, I was the only one to mention any of those things. Mm-hmm. The 10 out of 10 reviews baffle me. Um, 
I don't actually like this game very much. Um, I, I, I like it, I don't love it. Um, I hate playing it a lot of the time. Uh, present, I saw on, uh, on Reset Era, there was a, on the official thread, someone said, this game is somehow simultaneously a 10 out of 10 and a 3 out of 10. Or 2 out of 10, maybe they said. And I agree with that. Like, I, I feel like presentationally and, 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 and on almost every imaginable level, it is fantastic. But when I have to actually play it, I don't really like it. This might be like the ultimate like YouTuber game. Yeah, like Twitch streamer game. Like the, fun to watch somebody else play it. It is it is like playing it like the actual control control of Arthur is it's mushy and awkward and it feels like you're walking through molasses. Oh, you you and, can use about a hundred adjectives and the, to describe. I, I do not understand what their choices were on, on the UI half the time. Or like, okay, so you, you want to point your gun at someone. Well, that is hold left trigger unless the gun isn't out yet, in which case you hold a right trigger. But if you hold it the wrong way and let go of it, you'll shoot them. But if you hold it the right way, you'll aim from the hip. And then once it's out, then you use left trigger, and then you lose, use left bumper to put it away, unless you switch to your binoculars, and then you want to go back to the other gun. Because to switch to the binoculars, you have to hold left bumper, and then hit right bumper to switch to the item wheel, and then hold the stick to highlight the binocular, and then let go of left bumper, and then he'll pull the binoculars out, and then you look at the thing. Maybe you've decided that's what you want to hunt, so you want to shoot it, so you want to switch back to the gun you had before, but then you will, for some reason, default to your sidearm. So you have to go back into the menu, and then because you were holding the binocular, the binoculars, you're in the items, you have to hit RB again, and then you have to pick the... the I don't know what... I is think the game is absolutely I, loaded with crap I used like to that. wonder what happened to the guy who designed the gothic uh, inventory system, and I think Rockstar hired it. <laughs> like, the, it, the game can't agree on when you use... Like, X and Y both seem to be interactive buttons for objects and things. Like, if you're searching, like, a cabin or something, sometimes you'll use both buttons to search things and it's like there's no pattern to it and like it's so weird like there's it's so many things like that just just incon like incontinuities between how they handle menus and mm -hmm. systems in one part of the game versus how they handle them in other parts and the whole like like the gunplay is not play it's the gunplay is auto aim and point at the head and get a headshot and like yeah. and that depends if like they, they did a weird thing where like there's certain guns if certain guns need require like a like cocking the hammer hammer or or like a like a like a, a movement bolt of the bolt or, you yeah. have to press the button to do that and then yeah. press it again to shoot so instead of like pressing the trigger shoots the trigger shoots but then the trigger cocks Reloads, the gun again basically. and then the trigger shoots again and that's separate that's from reloading. There's no reload button. Well, there is a re yeah. B button is reload. Well, circle on PlayStation, I guess. Oh, I never even hit, hit that. You it's well, the only game again, in the world where the reload isn't square. It's well, yeah, because square is either interact or jump ineffectively. It's mantle, basically, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's I. It it gets it it makes it so hard for me to enjoy playing it. Like it's. And there's moments like it's you know the whole world is gorgeous. Uh, the the presentation is incredible. The the acting is amazing. Um, I'm not as over the moon about the story as you are, but I think the characters are well done, and I think it's very impressive that almost every you know you got a gang of like 15 people, and I can characterize each one of them because they all have. 
They all have well-drawn personalities, relationships with each other, relationships with you, uh, things they want, things they like, things they don't like. I could, you know, they they just through kind of ambience of walking around the camp, you get to know these characters, yeah, yeah. and that to me is a very and how impressive they react to you after you do something. Yes, yeah. like that to me is a very impressive narrative achievement. I don't think this the overarching story, and I'm not that far. I'm a, I'm kind of on the cusp of chapter three. The game is very large. It's a big um, game, yeah. Like to me, to me, it's it's not as interesting off the bat as Red Dead Redemption One stories because Red Dead Redemption One is basically doing Sergio Leone, and uh, this this game is doing Once Upon a Time in the West, which is a much slower, broader, sprawling film. Um, but it's definitely the inspiration for this one, and that's not a bad thing. That movie's great. If you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in I the have West, not seen it. if you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in the West, check it out. It's it's one of the all time greats. I would maybe say finish Red Dead Redemption 2 first. Not because it's the same story or anything, but because it's so tonally and thematically related that you might... Watching the movie might tip you off to sort of some of the things Red Dead Redemption 2 is probably going to do later. Um, so maybe finish the game before you watch it. But if you want to see like what I would consider the movie that really inspired this one the most, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, Here's a fact. I, I'm named after a cowboy movie. Oh, Come back, Shane. <laughs> yeah, that's, I was named after that movie. Um, so yeah, I I think like I and I also agree with uh, Jim Sterling, who also uh, you know was pretty fair about it. I thought in his Jim Pressions, where he said uh, all the emergent stuff in the world is really cool when you're in the mood for it, but when you just want to play the fucking video game, it just gets in the way, and that happens to me constantly in this game this is another one of those cases at least for me personally and look I've, I've finished the game now and i've made it all the way through it but this is a another case in our industry where the developers feel like realism is more important than anything else mm -hmm. and the problem with that approach is that it will pay off in some areas but is a huge detriment in other areas mm -hmm. and I, I do not understand why Suddenly, tedium seems to be the noob gameplay paradigm. There's yeah. my paradigm. That's what I was. There waiting. it is. I was waiting 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 paradigm. <laughs> tedium as the new gameplay paradigm has been the thing that's rattling around in my head while playing this game all week. And part of that also comes off of uh, coming off the the tail end of all the Star Citizen stuff, which seems to be really enamored with waiting for trains. Yeah. <laughs> and like, why can't I move? Like everything is so weird, and like I've had to explain to a couple of my more casual friends how the how the the stamina and health systems work and i'm like okay so you've got your stamina <laughs> and your health but when that goes down it doesn't replenish automatically it replenishes out of this core thing and the core goes down over time and also when you use it to replenish and if it goes down too far you have to eat something or rest to replenish and they're like why don't why can't i just play the game the way i want to play i'm like that's a fine question i don't know i don't know why like tedious also why not just give one bar <laughs> why do you, why, why do you need those? Why do you need the core and the meter on the outside? Just give me one bar, and when it gets to zero, I'll eat something or I'll sleep and replenish it. It I, I, that is even just tying that is even tying to realism. Like there's just no reason for that mechanic whatsoever. It's it's there's a lot of layers of like weird busy work in the like when I go into a store. Like, you have two options. You can either 
take all this time to look at all the individual things on the shelves and buy them like that. Let's go to the catalog. Or you can go to the catalog and continually <laughs> flip through pages and pages of crap you don't want to look at instead of just giving me a freaking menu. Like, I don't care. And, like, the realism thing doesn't hold, like, doesn't hold water for me because it's very variable depending on the situation. For instance, like, this game has the most graphic animal skinning animations yeah. I have ever seen. Like, you have to sit there and watch the man... Like spend ten seconds cutting all the hair, all the skin off a bear. Like you want to talk anatomically correct. This the skinning stuff in this is pretty close it in is, terms of yeah. what the animals look like when they're done, and then when they start to decay, uh, they put a lot of love and care. They into that. did, yeah. Um, but then when you pick up like a small like animal, like a small mammal, like if you kill like a muskrat or a skunk or something, Arthur like sticks his hands in its butthole and like pulls the skin off in one like ta-da <laughs> kind of like like flourish it's yeah. like in terminator 2 when the terminator cuts its arm skin and like right. pulls the, the yeah, arm yeah, off yeah. so miles dicing it's it's almost literally the same animation <laughs> it might be the same sound effect for god's sake it's a kind of whoop, i'm like okay and now we have a muskrat skin great um which i th- i mean i think that's pretty funny i think that's a funny animation but like don't give me the realism right crap. It's not like, in line. that's not an excuse for not letting me fast well, travel I mean, to, back to the damn camp to be fair it's not rockstar's line it's not like rockstar is like hey we set out to make right. the most realistic game ever they just made the game and put it out but when you play the game it's pretty obvious that they try to strive for realism in everything they do and another a game i would comp- compare this game to in a lot of ways is shenmue it, it's realistic. It makes you do things in a very methodical, slow, meticulous way, but it's realistic. And realism doesn't always translate into a fun video game. There are some people who that, that's all they want. Like I, right. I've talked about it before. I re- reviewed that Xbox snowboarding game, Amped Freestyle Snowboarding, a god-awful game, impossible to control, and then, like, we put up our review, and people are like, oh, it's realistic. And so it's okay to be harder and pot. It's like, no, that's not... I don't sit down... If I wanted that, I would go snowboarding. It's like, I, right. I play games to do stuff that I cannot do in real life. Um, and like, just it, very much like Shemu, having to pick things up and turn them over, and it's, it's very slow. There's no way to skip the animations. You have to wait for... Him to pick it up, turn it over, put it back down. And so much of this is like a solved problem in other games. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like Rockstar has not played any other video games since Grand Theft Auto 3 came right. out. And it's like I learned, you know, I got to learn the save systems quirks the hard way when um, I went out and I was like, okay, I'm going to go pick up. I le- it taught me the, the hunting stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pick up some perfect pelts, which you get by using the right weapon on three-star rated game, which you have to look at through the binoculars. A lot of item switching, and there's no... I really need a hotkey for the binoculars. Like, yeah. I don't know why that's not a thing. <laughs> well, apparently you um, use them a lot more than I do. I use them constantly. I hardly to, ever to do. To spot prey everywhere. Yeah. And um, so I gathered up... I spent like an hour, a little over an hour, like gathering all these perfect pelts so I could bring them back to, to upgrade the base. It's not easy to get a perfect and, pelt. Um, it gets it gets there, but early on you're learning everything, and you don't have the all the weapons you might need, and you have to like I, you have to study the animal, and then you have to look at the info on the animal. It'll tell you what to use to get the clean kill, and then you gotta you gotta you know sneak around and not because like like so, I said, it's not easy. It's, uh, I mean the hunt, the hunting <laughs> is in depth. I've done I spent a it lot is. of time hunting, and like sometimes again the immersion stuff can screw you up. Like I was I was I needed to kill I needed perfect snakeskins. 
So which meant I, ne I needed small game arrows. The only way to get small game arrows, or at least as the stores I had available at the time, was to craft them out of normal arrows and flight feathers. To get flight feathers, I have to kill a bunch of ducks. So I go down to the river, and I go get the, to find the ducks, and right as I'm about to kill the ducks, uh, some idiot with a covered wagon rolls through and scares all the ducks away. And yeah. like now the ducks are gone, and the sun's setting, and ducks aren't there at night. So I set up a campfire, and I slept all night. I went back down, and I was like, seven ducks, there's seven ducks right there, awesome. I pull out, all, you know, and I go back to the damn horse, because the game constantly resets all your weapons and puts them back on the horse. you got to go back to the horse, open the menu to pick the, your weapons back out of the horse. The horse is a klepto or something. The horse is constantly <laughs> stealing my weapons off my back and putting them in the saddle. Um, and uh, the horse carries tons of weapons, but it loves carrying the weapons, apparently. So I pull everything back out, I go back out, I go sit down, i got the gun, I look at the, look at the ducks. Okay, I'm ready to do the ducks. I'll just, like, dead-eye all the ducks and kill them all at once, and I'll just get tons of feathers. Right before I can pull the <laughs> pull the trigger, a coyote runs out and starts barking, and then all the ducks fly away. Yeah. And, I, and so I'm like, ah! So I have to like, so I have to, so I still use dead eye, and I hit all the ducks. But now they're all falling in the river. The the duck corpses are like floating downstream. <laughs> I'm like running over, like swimming around, like grabbing ducks and throwing them back at the at the <laughs> at the uh, the bed of the river shore, so they don't fall over the waterfall. Like there's like 300 yards. That's the perfect down. illustration of what I was saying about the fine line with realism. It can yeah. make things so awesome. Them or it can make them a total chore. Right, and on one and hand, there it is, both of them in one case. Right, and on one hand, it's cool that like the you know watching the wildlife in this game is fascinating. It really they is, all interact yeah. really interesting. Yep. It's a great bird watching sim. <laughs> um, and like you know, the, as far as I could tell, the coyote was just doing being a dog. Yeah, just it was running out, going, barking yeah. at birds and scaring the birds away. And but I'm like, I'll, all I wanted was feathers so I could make this arrow, so I could go get this thing, so I could upgrade my my. Ouch! Yeah, like, like and, this game and now is always gotta... making you do mental gymnastics. Though it's like yeah. I, I finally like you're always trying to figure out a way to work around the handicaps that the systems give you. It's like the fast travel stuff. First of all, unless you tell somebody it's in the game, a lot of people will never even realize it's there. Well, because it's hi the upgrade that gives it to you is hiding behind the most boring upgrade in the ledger. Right. And you had to buy something first before yeah. that is even a possibility. And look, they're both expensive. So once you even And the realize, upgrade looks like it'd be completely useless. It yeah, right. Exactly. Because it's related to how much the other gang members donate to the camp. Yep, exactly. And they no pretty idea. much don't. Yeah, they so don't it's do like, anything. Early on, it becomes very clear, like you said last week, you're the only one, you know, you're the only one participating in the yeah, fundraiser for this, for this gang. Yep. Uh, you know. You're like throwing, I just donated like $40 worth of pelts and gold watches I stole from dead people. And like John Marston just donated like a 90 cent like piece Literally of Literally like 30 yeah, cents. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, they'll, and they'll put it in the ledger. 30 cents. You're like, oh, thanks, bro. Thanks for that. I just, I just built the whole camp. The, 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 I find the currency system very like... Let me go, let me finish what like, I was saying it, about the because like you're though. right that like the money is is you know the, the, but pennies like, matter pennies matter but then like you're donating a dollar to like a homeless veteran but a dollar in 1899 was like 28 bucks. Oh, I know. Today. Yeah, it's, the it's conversion's like, insane. Like, oh, we're gonna have a few beers on me on that one. But what I was saying about how you always try to figure out how to work around the systems in the mm -hmm. game, it's like so you get you find if you're lucky enough or somebody tells you about fast travel, you quickly then realize that you cannot fast travel back to the camp. Right. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea why the fast travel system is so obtuse in the first place. But then I start thinking about it. I'm like, hmm, well, maybe I can figure out a way to still fast travel back to the camp. And then eventually I did. Like, basically what you do is you set a waypoint for the camp. You start traveling that way. And then you put it on automatic travel, like the cinematic travel mm -hmm. or whatever. And then you can skip it. 
And so I found a way. Unless you hit a, hit a wagon, which happened right. to me once. Exactly. When I was yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, so it's not you're not guaranteed to get to your destination. So I found a way to kind of ish fast travel back to camp. There's no reason I should have to do that. None. There's no way I should have to look at the way the systems are set up and then find a way to jimmy them to do what I feel like, first of all, I can do in every other video game, but also what I should be able to do in this one, which is a game with literally hundreds of miles of traveling that you have to do that before you ever get your fast travel in the first place, you are well worn out on. By the time the option is actually there where you can afford it and it's unlocked and you can get the fast travel, you are burnt out on riding the horse. No matter whether it's by yourself or with the gang, you have already done it for a long time and you've got your fill of it and you've seen most of the terrain that you're going to see, at least for that segment of the game. Um, again, it just it's just very weird. It, it, it feels like they, this game was made in a bubble. Like the people who made this game had not did not leave the studio for like eight years, yeah. did not play any other video games. And again, I said it last week, but in some ways that can make games great. And in some ways it does make this game great because it's different in, from other games in a lot of ways that it, that it is awesome, but it's also different from other games in a lot of ways that make it not awesome. Yeah. So I've finished the game. I'm working on my eval and it is going to be really, really interesting how, How do you rate online a connectivity for that? Considering it gets a zero at first, but then like already our online's coming at some point. No, we'll so. come back and we'll readdress mm -hmm. it. So whenever it, I think it actually comes out in like two weeks. Yeah. This, so and like the save, like the thing I learned about the save system was when I was hunting, I come back, I go to town, I'm gonna sell off the pelts that weren't perfect, and then I'm gonna bring the perfect pelts back to the back to the camp. And I'm walking down the street past a horse, and a bar fight breaks out at the saloon, and the horse gets spooked by the bar fight. Uh, shooting or whatever and suddenly kicks me in the head and i die that stuff and, happens all the time man and i and then i the respawn street. i respawn you know because you just lose some money or whatever but all the stuff that was on my horse is gone so all that's and my last hard save was like an hour ago and like the auto save is useless because it's sa it auto saved because after i respawn so it's like a second ago and it's like why is this not like any other game that does this kind of shit with like auto save like like Assassin's Creed Odyssey has like 10 autosaves. Like, it's yeah. constantly backing up your progress. Whereas this thing is like, it, the autosave in this game is useless. It's not useless. I mean, I honestly have, I mean, I don't save like you do. Like I've literally, I have, when I finished the game, I only had 12 saves. Total. I only have six saves. But like, my problem with it is like, yeah, is there a way to get around that? Yes, I could, every time I get a perfect pelt, and I do it now, every time I get a perfect pelt, I save the game. Yeah. But like, I don't want to do it yeah, that way annoying. because you're, you're, you're encouraging me to you're get lost. You're doing the same thing in, I was talking about. You're, you're working around get, the systems. Yeah, and you're encouraging me to get lost in this world, but the way you've designed <laughs> that system means I have to continually pull myself out of it to make sure I don't lose progress due to your emergent bullshit. It really is a perplexing game, like because uh, if I hadn't lost all that, like I would have thought that was pretty funny that that happened. Yeah, like, yeah. I got kicked in the head and died because yeah, yeah. all this stuff worked together to cause that to happen. Like that'd be pretty funny, except it lost me an hour and a half of work. But that also is another case of how the same thing can be awesome and be mm. awful. Because sometimes when that stuff happens, it is awesome. Whenever all the the wildlife and the humans and all the other systems just kind of come together and coalesce into this perfect moment, that's happened tons of times. But also the stuff that you talked about mm -hmm. happens constantly as well. Um, 
And I also feel like once you get back to the, you know, I, I get lost in the woods and hunting stuff and looking at things. And, I, you know, every, we all know that I love scanning stuff. Yep. So, you know, looking at all the different tiny little songbirds and binoculars and doing the study thing. Yep. I enjoy that. I've been doing a lot of that. It's probably why I'm not further in the story. But the other reason I'm not further in the story is I feel like all the missions are the same shit Rockstar's been doing since, like, San Andreas. It's all that the same That is one thing I will stuff. say is as the game goes on, the missions get better. And they become more, much more high stakes as well. Well, may I suggest that next time they start there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm a, I actually kind of like games that get better as they go along. And, like, I like games that, like, hold their most visually stunning, like, levels for the end of the mm-hmm. game and, and the best missions. for. I like when a game is building to something Sure, but like, there's a point at which the cowboy tedium simulator just becomes a little grating. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, look, I was critical of the game last week. I, I finished it, and I still stand by everything I said last week. I still feel the same way. Nothing changed from... And I was pretty far into the game when I talked about it last week, to be fair. But I really just had to finish like the last third of it in the last uh, few days. But... Um, you know, I was critical of it then. I'm still, still critical of it now. Um, again, the most perplexing thing to me isn't that people love this game enough to give it a 10. It's that they did not mention any problems with the game. Yeah, you didn't even get, like, even if you're, people were giving it a 10, like, they didn't even have, like, hey, this is, this is, this is hey, kind of annoying, and this is weird, yeah. and this isn't cool. But I don't care about any of it because it's more than some of its parts, 10 out of 10. Like, that's a valid... Thing, but yeah. like the fact that none of nobody even mentions the fact that the inventory system Any of is like I mean, some kind so of weird kludge disaster. That you can find fault with yeah. in this game. So many. I mean, just talk about the gunplay and just the or movement, just, just parking or your cover horse. system, or trying, parking the trying, park the hitching the how far away from the hitch post does the hitch prompt prop up? Who freaking knows? Depends what angle. Oh, now he's now the now the horse has gone into some kind of quantum state where it just is moving like this super slow motion, but it's still moving. You're like in this weird sort of Zeno's paradox where the horse can only go halfway to the post and then halfway and then halfway. And then, oh, you're past, past the post. Oh, yeah. but now the prompt popped up. So let's just hit the button because we just want to park the horse. And now you got to watch the horse shimmy into place for 30 seconds. And it's like... Just let me park the horse. But you also Who are cares? afraid to not park the horse because right, cause the horse could wander off. Yeah, or, or yeah, you could just come back and the horse is gone. So or, I have this weird even, thing in the back of my mind that hey, if I hitch the horse, the chances of it disappearing when I come out are less, which probably mm-hmm. is just poppycock. But for whatever reason, that's what I've convinced myself of. So I go through this song and dance mm-hmm. every time I get off the horse to make sure that the horse is tethered to something. Or if you're building a relationship with the horse, you get relationship points for hitching it. Right. So exactly. that matters too. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that's interesting is if you've hitched the horse and you go somewhere else and you whistle for the horse, the horse will come to you. So the horse can untie knots. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I still haven't figured out like uh, when the horse follows you. Like I've been on the train before and <laughs> seen the horse <laughs> running after the train. In one of the cutscenes, I just caught a little glimpse of the horse running its ass off wow. trying to keep up with the train. Like, But that's, again... There's some things in this game that are so freaking awesome that just blows your mind that they actually took the time. Like, for instance, you know, you you need to groom your horse, pat your horse to build that relationship or whatever. When you brush the horse, like the first 20 times I brushed the horse, you know, you brush it, that little cloud of smoke comes off the horse or whatever. I thought that's all it was. Literally, like the last three hours of the game, I just took the time to just sit there, and I think I was doing something else, like multi- multitasking. So I literally like brushed the horse like six times in a row, 
finish brushing the horse and we break out into the sunlight and literally my eyeballs popped out of my head because the horse's coat had completely changed. Hmm. Completely. It looked like it was soaked in water. It was so shiny. Like there's just stuff like this all over this game. And a lot of stuff like that people will never even notice. Like one, another thing I noticed when you walk through the snow, like uh, first of all, the snow is great. Like as far mm -hmm. as like leaving your tracks, but like when you push through the snow with your shin, it pushes the snow in front of you. And the formations that it leaves are not the same every time. Mm. Like, just little stuff like that is just mind-blowing. The mud is like that, too. The, it is, absolutely. Has, has just weird... watching the footsteps in the mud is like a spiritual experience in this <laughs> game. But it's crazy that Rockstar concentrated on stuff like that, and the gameplay is so bad. It's like, how could you, the testers, sit there and play this game for eight years and no one ever say, bro, this cover system blows, or bro, this movement system sucks, or why can't I just use the analog stick to control the speed of my carrot? Just Yeah, I don't know. Rockstar is still in love with the tapping, tapping A slash X. To well, it's like you have a it's... gas button for your character. Yeah. I mean, it's really what it comes in. It's not even like an analog gas trigger. I also don't like that... Um... In the, first, in the previous game, when combat broke out, uh, John Marston moved faster by default without holding the button. Like, he, he basically kind of broke into, he just, a, he broke into a, he a run. He snapped to it, basically. When, yeah. when the bullets started flying. And Arthur doesn't do that. Oh, no. Arth Arthur, Arthur, Arthur will mosey, yes, if you he, allow he, him all, to. He's a moseyer, <laughs> undoubtedly. But it is just... I don't know if I've ever played a game like this where... One moment, I am just completely astounded and blown away by something, and the next moment, I'm scratching my head saying, what the F? Or both at the same time. Yeah, like, yeah. Like the, <laughs> I had a problem in Valentine, the first small town, where I'd try to ride, you know, I ride in there pretty often to sell stuff or do or buy new ammo or whatever, and I ride in, and I, there's this thing where I guess I must have interacted with one of the dogs in town at some point, because the dog would continually run up and bark at me when I rode into town, and it would come too close to the horse, and the horse would kick it or something. And that is apparently a crime in a world oh, yeah. in which people shoot each other over poker hands in the saloon every night. Let's not even and, talk about the crime and like, system in this and I, game. So I'd have so to ride bad. out of town, and like yeah. it wasn't even bad enough that anyone was upset. If the sheriff caught me, that he'd be like, move along, get out, like, get out of town. And like so, I'd have to go away, wait for the water meter to go down, and come back, and then the horse, the horse would, be, the dog would be back. So eventually, after like five or six times this happened, I shot the the dog, <laughs> and, and sure enough, the dog doesn't come back. And it's like <laughs> funny how that works. And it's like um, on one hand, it's like that's a really impressive way that the systems are working together to you know, the dog remembers me, gets in there, and that's not necessarily a good thing because it becomes a complicated thing, and people don't like it when horses step on dogs. But at the same time, I'm like. That is so annoying. <laughs> like, you're not making my game any better by having that happen. Yeah, I mean, the like, crime thing is, like, you're walking down the sidewalk and your elbow, like, hits somebody. Right. And then, like, they'll, like, yell at you. And the next thing you know, a crime's reported. Or they'll pull right. a gun on you and shoot you. And you're the one that gets reported right. for the crime. Or like, or like you're on the, you're on the road riding down the road, and some guy just runs out. No, some guy on another horse coming towards you for some. Sometimes they'll just turn, and you ram into each other, and it's like horse physics everywhere. Yeah. And, and then, then he get gets up and, and pulls and his gun, and yeah. then you kill him to defend yourself, and you lose karma. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. And oh, immediately. I'm sorry, it's... but if a Prius hits me and the guy gets out of the Prius and starts shooting at me, and I kill him in self-defense, I didn't do anything wrong. No. Um. And and it's it's so weird. Like it's it's it is a weird game. <laughs> yeah. 
It is a tale of two like, games, I'm, really. I'm convinced that the, I don't think the bounty system works properly. Like, I've covered my face, I've used mask stuff, I've changed my clothes, and, like, the bounty's still there. Like, it doesn't... Well, remember, any mask that you buy, you can only equip while you're right. sitting on the horse so mask. You can't make... You can't change your default mask away from the horse to one of the you, masks. You can't buy a mask on foot from a store. Right. And then put that mask on while you're on foot. And then if you put the mask away... And then you put the mask back on, it will be your bandana over right, your mouth. Right. Because the mask is teleported to the horse because you can't change your default mask away from the horse. Yeah. Um, I mean, the game is filled with stuff like this. Yeah. Just these weird contradictions. Like, of... I'm pretty convinced that the way the an anonymity thing works is broken. Like, I don't think that's working properly. Because even happened in, a, in a, one of the early missions, you have to break a guy out of jail and like basically because he starts a, a gunfight, you're going to get bounty. So I'm like, well, maybe I can figure out a way to not get bounty. And it came, I redid that mission four or five times. I was like, okay, first I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in in this outfit and I'm going to leave because you go in and you try to like fake your way through and the sheriff doesn't buy it and then you have to break him out through more violent means. Yep. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and go talk to the sheriff and I'm going to leave. Now I'm going to change my clothes completely and put my mask on so no one could possibly know this is me and i go in and no matter what i did it would pop up wanted arthur morgan like they knew ex they knew my name <laughs> like no matter what happened and at that point in the game i couldn't afford the bounty and so i was just stuck with this these bounty hunters chasing me and then that started to interfere with doing like the hunting missions because like the legendary animals won't show up if there's bounty hunter activity in the area and it was just, it's 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 simultaneously like an impressive array of endless systems like interacting with one another and the exact way to piss me off when I'm trying to play a video game it's very it's 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 a like I, I, I like it but I don't love it but sometimes I do love it but then it reminds me I don't love it <laughs> it's 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 interesting looking at the it's comments. It's a complicated relationship I have with this game. It's interesting looking at the chat because it's it's pretty much split down the middle between people that loves it, love it and people that don't like it. But then there's some people in here saying that they love the gameplay. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't either. Like if you strip the presentation <laughs> away and just play a game, you just play a game that was just purely the gameplay and the gun sh the gun fighting in this I game. I also see a lot no. of excuse making in here for Rockstar. A lot of Rockstar fanboys in there making up some pretty paper thin excuses for the game's problems. I'm not going to single like, anybody these guys, out. But. Like Rockstar just doesn't pay attention to what anyone else is doing. And like you say, sometimes that's a good way to make something because you're working on your own terms, but sometimes other people have better ideas than you, and you got to look at what the state of the art is. Yeah. They're not even just the state of the art. I mean, just what works. Right. Because like, there's stuff in this some game of the, that just flat out Some of the stuff work. that doesn't work in this game that does work in other games has been working in other games since 2010. Yeah. So... I, I think, honestly, and I, I talked to you about this before when I was setting up for today's show, but I honestly think that Rockstar targets its games at a really big audience. And I think a lot of times it, it tries to make things too simple. Uh, like the auto-targeting being so generous and how you can just shoot someone in the chest and if you shoot them enough times, they'll eventually die. Well, I mean, um, that's I think true, for, though. I, mean, I think for yeah. mass, the mass audience, that kind of works. Mm -hmm. I don't think for hardcore gamers like us it does, but well, I think for casual folks who just want to be able to squeeze that L2 button and make sure that that reticle's right on their chest and if they shoot them enough times there, they'll die. But like all the all but maybe one or two of the casual gamer people I know wouldn't make it past hour two of this game. Yeah. It's so slow. It's and pretty... so boy, and you got, 
Like I'm like, you know, I'm willing to put up with a slow burn just about on just about anything. And, you know, I certainly wasn't going to stop playing the game because of the storytelling being slow paced because, you know, I like Ar- I don't think Arthur's as funny as you do. I, I don't think he's particularly funny, but I do like him. I think he's an interesting character and I think all the people in the gang are interesting people. Well, and, I will um, say this too is that the game is front loaded with funny. So I laughed a lot when I first started playing it, and I, I haven't laughed at all in this. You game. didn't think some of his one-liners were really clever? I, I can't think of a single thing I would call a one-liner from him. He always drops one-liners. I don't. Somebody he, says something, and then he says a one-liner. He's that's a, all. That's how he, he communicates. I, no, he's he's. I mean, he's he's like laconic and skeptical, but like I don't. He, I don't think anything. I'll put he says together is funny. a montage of funny from this. Like they're all they're, they're all one-liners, just one like after another. They're all dicks to each other, but I don't think that's funny. I just think that's who they are. No, it's not even when he's interacting with the gang. It's when he's like out in the world talking to people or trying to get missions from them, or they're asking him to do something for them. Like, I have, I just no, I I have not laughed out loud at anything in this game that I can recall. I thought I. Found I mean, I've really laughed out loud first. at crazy weird shit that happened, right, right. but I didn't. I some of the weird people that he runs into, but I, he does. He is not a funny character to me. I think he is. I think he, at the beginning he's hilarious. It, the, I think they intentionally front-loaded a lot of the better lines in the game because a lot of people are never going to make it to the <laughs> end of this game, I can guarantee it. And I think they wanted to try to have a, a, a really good first impression. So to me, the writing starts off really strong initially and then kind of fades and settles into a groove for the last act, or maybe even more than that, to be honest. Um, but it is certainly a polarizing game. You would never know that by the press. All the press is unanimously yeah. pretty much like it's well, the I think best there's, thing there's ever. A, but... There's kind of a Zelda effect happening here. I think I think three to six months from now, everybody will be a lot more rational about the honest take on this game. Um, ironically, I think that like the the amazing glossing over of the problems this game suffers from in the reviews is going to be kind of used against the reviews later. I mean. Uh, like, it's one of the only times I can recall where I feel like I've read a bunch of reviews of this game and I don't think they were accurate reflections of what I've played. Yeah. Which is, which is uncommon to me. But somewhere in there, I mean... Even you haven't you, read my gamey value yet, No, Matt. but even if, <laughs> even if you're going to ignore, like, the flaws and still give it a crazy high score, I would still expect you to mention... Like this, this doesn't right. work too well. This yeah, isn't yeah. great, but it doesn't matter because you can get used to. Frankly, you can get used to anything, and I got used to this, and it's more than some of its parts. You know, nine point nine. I will say this though: I never got used to this game. Even I, when I, I finished still it, screw up switching inventory stuff. Even yes. when I finished it, the cover system still was a janky disaster. The movement in it was still awkward and weird, and left me in compromising situations and high action situations. Uh, there was some stuff that no matter how much I played it, it still annoyed me or I still felt like it was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I haven't played a game like this in a long time that just completely bucks all the conventions of the modern video game. It's just like one of those things where like, there's constantly Which again, I'm, I'm it can be a thinking, good thing. But... Yeah, but like I'm constantly thinking there's got to be a better way to have done this. Or at least let me favorite some stuff so I can scroll through it quicker. Or like do just the tedium of... of going through all the menu stuff constantly. I mean, I, I remember when I was annoyed by playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey because, like, I think the way you have to switch weapon wheels in that, like, there's the ability wheels. Like, we get a second one, so you have to, when you're holding left bumper to use one of your abilities, you can also push down on the D-pad to switch to the other wheel. 
And I think that's super awkward. I was like, that should have been like a double tap uh, if of If anybody LB. watched the uh, Hangout and for this, the first 15 minutes I'm playing, I'm just like, who designed <laughs> this interface? Like but a the, monkey? Like, but I'm like, you should double tap L, L, life bumper, and that yeah. should be how you switch the weapon wheels. That in, is one thing I got. eventually but now I'm like, But fine. now I'm like, oh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is a work of genius in user interface, because like that's the only complaint I have about it. Now well, I'm like, I did get used to the UI eventually. Like I could use it quickly. Well, I know and... where everything is, but that doesn't make it any better right. than yeah. what it, I mean. It's like, it's still super awkward. It's It's... It's a problem, and again, like, but the biggest weird thing about this game, and I realize it's selling like crazy, but like, you know, I've got friends who like, you know, kind of like are just they play two or three games a year, and like, I really don't know what to say about this game to them because I'm like, you might hate this, like, you might think it's too slow and waste your time. You play if you play games like an hour, hour and a half a night, like they do, like. You've accomplished hunting two squirrels in that yeah. amount of time sometimes. I would so ask like, them if they like cowboy movies. And if they said no, I would say do not play this game. <laughs> Seriously. I yeah. mean, that's probably the best. Because it is, to me, this is more of like an interactive experience than a video game in a lot of ways. To me, it's like vaguely interactive. Like it kind of takes a lot of the action out of the action adventure genre. It's kind of yeah. Well, one of the most exciting things that happens in the first hour is you change a wheel on a cart. Right. Yeah. Like but I think that I think I don't know if that was their their intent, and I'll never know what their real intent was when they made this game. But <laughs> it it really seems like it's more of like an eighteen ninety nine simulation. Like, hey, here's this yeah. world. Go mess around with it. I think partied like it's eighteen ninety nine, boys. I think you, when you run into the rough comparisons for this game is when you do start comparing it to action games. I think if, you, if the mindset was, hey, let's compare this to an adventure game, which generally doesn't have much gameplay, then maybe it can be looked upon a little more favorably. But for whatever reason, with games like this, I look at them as action games. And I think in a lot of ways, as a modern action game, it, it has a lot of shortcomings. Mm-hmm. But we're out of time. We gotta we gotta move on. It's we just hit nine o'clock here on the West Coast. So yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, it's not. Like I, I don't even know what to say about it. Like frankly, in terms of like recommendation, like I would actually I, love to set up just like a. I think uh, most people that are interested have already bought it. Yeah. Like I think most people. I mean, what is it? The number two entertainment launch, launch of all time. Ever, yeah. Number one weekend because GTA Five came out on a Tuesday. Yep. Um, so for those worried that Red Dead Redemption wouldn't have the reach. Yeah. Well, the typical Rockstar game, I think it's okay. Yeah, and for those of you who are who want to play Red Dead Redemption 3 in 10 years, you're good. Yeah, I think that might be happening. <laughs> I think it'll happen. Uh, but unfortunately, we got to move on. I would actually love to do like a big like group chat about this game. Like get like 10 or 15 sifters together all on like Google Hangouts or whatever and just talk about this game because honestly, seeing some of the comments in the chat like kind of blew my mind. <laughs> Some of the stuff they were saying, I'm like, do we play the same game? I don't know. I, I think there's a lot. I would of... love to hear, other than reading like their one sentence thing, I would love to hear someone's explanation for why they think the gameplay is awesome. I would really, really love to hear that argument from anybody, not just a sifter. Like, I would really like to hear somebody defend the gameplay in this game. Yeah, because I don't feel like they improved it from the previous game. I think they just. I don't even know if they tried. I think they just layered more crap on top. Yeah. Of it. I don't know. Different strokes for different folks, I suppose. But we got to move no on. I also notice you are not one to pick your hat back up very often. No, my hat never. So, yeah, that's. I was going to mention that, but it's like one of those little small things. Like, 
My hat disappears. I pick up a hat from an enemy, and it just disappears. Like yeah, I never it, had a hat. If, if you well, no, if you don't own the hat, you can't. If you lose the hat, the hat will go away. But you can always get your owned hats back from the horse. Okay. The horse has the hat. The horse is a klepto. I'm telling you, like horse just takes shit. Well, it's funny in the one clip that we use for B-roll, you can see my hat shot off of my yeah. head as I'm running up the ravine. Like I, I realize that I'm missing it. And then I'll go and I'll buy a hat or I'll pick up a hat off the ground and eventually it's just gone again and I just didn't well, Because care then you have to equip the hat in your camp and then store the hat as part of a saved outfit on the horse, which can only hold a certain number of outfits. Tedium. Ain't it's... nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely do not have time for that. Although I, and, but sometimes it works. Like, like one time, I think I told you before we did this, we did, started the show, like, I was out hunting and I did a campfire and to wait for the morning so I could hunt more stuff and it was pouring rain when, it, when he woke up. Yeah. And so instead I went to the lo- nearby town and I played poker in the, like while it was raining. In yeah. the, and I'm like, this is great. Like, yeah. if, like if, I was, if, if I was really there, I would really enjoy playing poker in the rain, like nice and warm and the, it was like, like the, the ambiance and the, like I said about GTA 5, the quality of the light, yeah. the, the sense of place is incredible. But then it sends you out there and makes me like do weird menu shit and like horses get mad at me for no reason. And like, I, like, <laughs> I all right, know. we gotta wrap it up. We could talk about this game for like days. I really think you and I could sit here for a whole day and talk about this game. Yeah. We could talk about this game for almost as long as it takes to finish it. I think maybe the PC version will have like mods that smooth it out. It's possible. I'd be interested to see what a community could do. With a PC version. Of I mean, this patches game. too, obviously can help, and yeah. we'll see how. That I gotta goes. admit, that was one of it was common since I remember who did who said it. Maybe it was God. Um, <laughs> but it was common. God on Sifted. It was common. Yeah, on Sifted, <laughs> it was in the comments, and they said something about like, um, like I'm getting this on PC so I can mod out all the survival bullshit, and people were like taking the task on that. And normally, I would too, because I'm like, you kind of play the ball where it lies in terms yeah, of yeah. game design to me. But after playing more of it, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to blame anyone who wants to get rid of all that crap yeah. and just play the game. Yeah. But then you're left with kind of mediocre gameplay and mission design. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. It's so, <laughs> it's it's one of the hardest things I've had to play and make an, like a coherent opinion about all year. Because it's all over the place. Yeah. And it's extremes. Yeah. I will tell you this. It did. It is not on my game of the year shortlist. There you go. It is not in the in the in the category of God of War or Spider Man. Big words from Mr. Kyle. And now we got some big words from our trailer of the week. We chose a peculiar trailer this week. It was a pretty good week for trailers, but this is, for me, the most memorable one of all because it's doing something that is never done. And that is making a trailer out of the shortcomings of your game pre-release. Have you seen this? Yeah. So this is a God of, it's a God of War trailer. And I know you're like, God of War, that game's been out for forever. But... It's basically a collection of bugs and other issues that they had with the game while they were mm-hmm. testing it before it was ever released. Naughty Dog's done this a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Uncharted. Yep. And it's called the God of War Misguard Mishaps trailer. Let's go. This is a perfect example of the bizarre shit happening with the kid's face. Look at that. That's some creepy, like, fringe shit right there. That's like Hellraiser. That's fucked up. More dragon! More dragon! A 
None of your fucking business. Now get in here. My new arrows can shatter something. What are you doing? studio can uh, laugh at itself and put out stuff like that. Notice though that at the bottom it still had like the disclaimer like pre-release mm -hmm. gameplay uh, just in case I guess but um, I love that. So wanted to showcase that for you guys as a reward for Sony Santa Monica because I think a lot of game development studios take themselves so seriously that they would never do something like that. So, uh, so we lost our stream apparently mm -hmm. so it's going to be impossible to answer questions this evening it appears because I can't even get like back into the chat unfortunately I got one question okay well we'll take it from Vincent all right <laughs> um, EA said during the financial report that respawn was working on multiple games by holiday 2019 what's the other one besides uh, Jedi Fallen Order oh pack told me what it was um, I don't think it's announced Pack mentioned it in Pactor Factor. He did? Yeah, but it's not like it was some big secret. It might just mm. be like the next Titanfall. I mean, that's what I would assume. Oh, it's Call of Duty. EA didn't make Call of Duty. Oh, I'm Duty. sorry, Battlefield. Battlefield? 
Well, Pac thinks that Respawn is going to start making Battlefield. Yeah, he's been, I think, a bunch of people have been theorizing that. Like, that would make some sense. Makes a lot of sense. Makes more sense than them making a Star Wars game. <laughs> I don't know. Put your best guys on Star Wars. Yeah, but they're, they've made, all they've ever made is shooters. All they've ever made. One of the most well-regarded Star Wars games is a shooter. Right, but People I'm saying it makes more sense for them to make Battlefield than to make a action RPG or whatever it is that they're making. I wouldn't. Not I, that I, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't assume that Jedi Fallen Order is an action RPG. You think it's a shooter? Well, I don't know if it's a shooter because it clearly got a lightsaber, but I mean, it could be more like a Jedi Outcast thing. I, I'm just saying, like a third-person action game versus making first-person shooters for the last 15 years yeah, or whatever. Pull the camera back a few feet, you're good. <laughs> oh, come on, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, but the respawn guys know how to can do that. Like that's not, that's not a huge stretch for them. That anyone can do it. Can you do it very well? I would. Who say knows? The, I would say the respawn game guys probably can. I I have no proof of that whatsoever. None. I don't think a perspective switch is that much of a. I think major it's a thing. huge difference. Huge. Mm. Everything. Everything. You have to consider it with everything you do in a game. The perspective. Every single thing you do. Yeah. Look, battle. they're really skilled. Gotta be better than Battlefront. They're one of the. Yeah, that's probably true. They're really skilled. Both. They're one of the most skilled developers in the industry. But that's a big difference. But yeah, I think you're overstating it. To answer um, Vincent's question, though, I mean, it's either Battlefield or another Titanfall. Yeah, and I don't see what else it could be. It's one of those two things. Yeah. I, would, I mean, some people think Titanfall's over, but, like, I feel like Titanfall is... Titanfall 2 got kind of screwed by where, where it was placed, so I wouldn't be surprised if it gets another chance at some point. Yeah. This seems like it might be a little soon. Then again, if they're working on a Battlefield for next fall, like, man, I feel like Battlefield could probably use a year to cool off. It absolutely could. And I think it, it, even if Respawn right now has a Battlefield schedule for next year, I have a feeling that it will be pushed. Mm-hmm. Because... Well, it becomes, it's looking increasingly obvious that Battlefield 5 should have been pushed to March. Yep. And also... Don't launch that game without its Battle Royale. It is mode. also looking pretty clear that Battlefield Five is not going to be, like, a mega gigantic hit. No. Uh, the word on the street on that game is not good. Uh, the interest on Sifted is not very high, and that's usually been a pretty good harbinger of how a game is going to sell. Um, so, yeah, I think taking a year or two off for Battlefield would be a really good idea. Um, but that's, that would be my best guess as to what Respawn's working on, and, again, based on what... Pactor said at one point or another, so that would be my guess. I don't understand why the chat doesn't work though. Well, because it, it froze. It's just it gone. Mine's working. Oh, but you got to restart this. So everyone just left the stream. Is that what happened? No, they're still there. We just didn't see it because our connection dropped. Oh. So you have to quit the Twitch app and open it again. And are they asking again. questions or no? Yeah. Oh, they are. In here. Okay, we're well, gonna have I to. I restarted my my app. Oh, okay. Um. Where's W Matthew? I don't see him. Um, J. Reed Vic 7. My collector's edition Red Dead Redemption 2 strategy guide came in the mail today and is extremely nice. What's the nicest video game collectible items you guys have amassed over the years? Hmm. That's a good question. Mm hmm. I don't know because, like, um,. There's a difference between something being nice, something being valuable, and something being sentimental. Mm -hmm. um, valuable stuff is stuff that studios send you. Like um, Naughty Dog sent me its 10th anniversary precursor orb, 
which is like a replica of the mm -hmm. Jack and Daxter precursor orb, and they only made like 400 of them or something like that. That's probably the most valuable thing I have. Although, I don't know, like I got a, uh, a really nice pool cue for Grand Theft Auto 4. Uh, that thing is worthless. Oh, it's worthless? Yeah, I tried to sell that because I got that too. And I tried, I'm like, oh, I should get rid of this. And it's like, no, it's like, it's like 10 bucks. Oh, okay. I, I, it looked like it was a nice pool cue. I don't know anything, anything about pool. But so there you go. Like, I don't even know what the value of this stuff mm -hmm. is that I have. I have clo a closet stuffed with this stuff. And I, think the most, I don't know what any of it's worth. The most valuable thing I have that I got as like swag is uh, the 10th anniversary Sonic the Hedgehog statue. Because remember they did like three, they, Sega did three like super limited, like we made 400 yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. They did the statue, they did a champagne flute, and they did like a... Like a cube with a laser sculpture of no, Sonic's I remember head. Those. I mean, yeah, yeah. So they made like 500 each of those. Those are the three most sought after Sonic collectibles in the world. Wow. So the, the statue is like 1500 bucks. The flute is like more than that. And, the, and the, I think the cube is about the same. So I got those. I got that when I the first time I shot at Sega for Tech TV. And they were just giving them away. They're like, oh, you like Sega? Because oh, I'm a big Sega fan. So I'm like, oh, this. I'll go here. It's a Sonic stand. I'm like, cool. Sonic and I liked it because it had like broken English all over. Right. It's like, it's like <laughs> do not brandish the weapon as to a sharp part and stuff like that. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, that's great. So it's never been out of its box. I don't really like the statue. But it turned out it was super valuable. Um, my favorite thing is... Like my favorite thing is probably the eco candle holder cage. That was the first thing I ever got. Oh yeah, that at, was working cool. in the industry at all. And the nice, actually, one of the nicest things is um, they did this limited edition. Uh, Ubisoft sent out like the collector's edition of Assassin's Creed Three came with like a cheapo little like flag with the Assassin's Creed logo yeah, yeah. thing instead of the, so. They also sent out these really nice wooden boxes. Yeah, I that have slid that. Open. Yeah, we had it in the studio. Yeah, and it was a, it's like not the flag that came in the collector's edition. It's a big, it's the heavy real one. Yeah. cloth. Like I have one of those, and that's a, even though I don't like Assassin's Creed Three very much, I'm a big Assassin. That's like the coolest Assassin's Creed swag that was ever. Well, if produced. I ever own a home, I'm putting that flag up in front of my house. <laughs> that'll probably never happen. That'll, I'll probably rent an apartment for the That'll probably get you shot. Oh, yeah. In certain parts age. of the country, yeah, it'll definitely like. cause problems. Because someone's going to think that's like a Mason thing or, or something. something. Yeah. Who knows what they'll think it is. Um, and it, actually, some of the nicest stuff I got was as a judge for the Spike Video Game Awards, they would give out stuff. You guys have seen like the glass trophies that I have with like the monkey playing like a video game or whatever. But they would also give out art to the judges. Um, it would show up like a week after the show and the artist, it would be a legit print of whatever the artist did and then signed a number by the artist. And I think those are probably the things that I'll have until I'm really old and probably don't even know what a video game is anymore. So we should, we got to wrap up though. We are way over time. So sorry we couldn't answer more questions. Uh, I do want to thank all you guys for all your support. You guys are freaking amazing. Everyone on YouTube, thank you for continuing to subscribe via Twitch Prime. Um, just a reminder that you do have to do it every month. I'm shocked that people on Sifted still don't know this. You do have to redo it every month, but you don't have to go through the whole process of linking your accounts. All you have to do is just go to twitch.tv slash siftedgames and just click that box above the player. Once you set it up once, you're set up for good, but you do have to do it every 30 days. It doesn't automatically renew. So a friendly reminder and also a chance to say thank you very much for all you guys are doing and to our subscribers and our patrons who are also doing it. We appreciate it very, very much, and it definitely makes a difference. So hope you guys have a great Halloween. Stay safe out there, but have fun. Game Face is up and out. Thank <laughs> you.